Get ready to remove the filter from your timeline. Get ready to break the censorship of social media. Get ready to support the grassroots alternative to establishment propaganda. Get ready for an authentic voice. Get ready to resist cancel culture. Get ready for free speech media. This is FSM. From the heart of trucker America, my boy, Reed Coverdale, host of The Naturalist, Capitalist. As the left becomes less religious, they become more statist. And as the right becomes more religious, they still become more statist. Whenever you add government, you by default remove community. But it actually starts with Bush, right? Like in sure. 2006. That would be the most satisfying, like, chair shot. And I have no intention of keeping any promise that I make. The radical messaging is almost more pragmatic sometimes. It's bad that the state is as big as it is. Hello, everyone. Thank you for watching The Naturalist Capitalist. I am your host, Reed Coverdale, streaming to you live from Porkfest in Lancaster, New Hampshire. And this is our fourth installment of the Four Horsemen series. On the show again, we got my good friend, Eric Jackman. How you doing, Eric? Reed, I'm psyched. I'm honored. This is going to be an epic night, and it's sponsored by a beer from Mexico called Medelo. As okay. long as it's not Corona. Nope, we got rid of the Corona. We brought in the Medelo. Reed, we're going to fucking let it rip tonight, man. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this, and this is going to be great. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what to expect, but uh, under an interesting surname, we've got Ryan Dawson of the Anti-Neocon Report. Are you there, Ryan? Is, is Ryan still with us? I think his... Uh, he. he <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so based. <laughs> it's a four horseman. How do you get it in there? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Scott Ryan Wharton's coming on the show. Yeah, Ryan mentioned that I uh, made uh, that Americans made his latest Twitter account for him. That was actually me. I made it for him, but it, it only lasted twelve days, so she's gone. But that's he's a still day. Here with her. That's a day longer than the one before it. And our special guest today is the one and only Scott Horton. How you doing, Scott? Oh, we can't hear you, Scott. He said, well, "That's because my mic you? is off." I do that sometimes. Oh, how are you, boys? I'm doing good. This is uh, this is the lineup we got here. Can't believe it. Got a <laughs> beverage even... ready. It tastes better in this cup. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Avengers Initiative on steroids. So, I gave Matt Smith one of these, and it's got my logo on the other side. He's like, it's got your logo on the other side. I go, yeah, I am a capitalist. <laughs> of course. So, Eric, I wanted to start off with you. You've got a little story for us about uh, some of the things that happened here in New Hampshire. 
Yeah, Ryan, I've held off on telling you this, man. So I have a live comedy podcast show coming up. I do a podcast with my twin brother, Mike Jackman, called Jackman Radio. And we have been in the planning stages of a huge uh, live comedy podcast show. And we had booked a venue in Keene, New Hampshire. All booked, good to go. Tickets were were sold. People had bought tickets. My brother and I hired a high-end professional film crew to come up to New Hampshire from Philadelphia and New York to film it. And we're going to release it as a special. And we got word last week that Jackman Radio was no longer welcomed at the venue. Oh, no. We got an email from the booker. And the booker <laughs> said, yeah, I, uh, I got to tell you guys, um, you know, we are, we have, uh, we're worried about a guest you've had on your show before. Mm. I said, oh, I wonder who that would be. And it was Mr. Ryan Dawson. <laughs> Another notch. And they said, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we take issue with uh, the fact that you've had Ryan Dawson on your show and we're kind of worried about him and, you know, this and, you know, all the usual tropes, this and that, you know, mentioned you have a Confederate flag. You've talked about the Unabomber, you know, all, all that do, stuff. Uh, we do Civil War history videos. You Civil that. War his- <laughs> None of that matters. So they, they canceled us and uh, we scrambled for a couple of days and we found a new venue and the Jaffrey, New Hampshire Legion will take us and we're going to do our show there. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to back down here, Ryan. I support the work you do. I support uh, free speech. I believe in freedom of speech. And I pointed out to them that if you disagree with someone or you object to something they're saying, instead of going into a corner with a big gallon of soy and crying and hiding your head in the sand, you should talk and have conversation and have discourse. Yeah, Usually dialogue so, and sunshine is the quickest way to end that stuff. It's people yeah. going in the echo chambers is why they build and build because nobody ever confronts them. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, Ryan, you and I, we don't agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything, but we agree on the First Amendment in our Constitution. Yeah. And I agree. I am an absolutist when it comes to freedom of speech. That's so it's their thing. right as, as a private venue to not have us. And we found a new place. But, um, yeah, so that's what we got going on. We were able to get a new venue. We got a new sound guy. The film crew still coming. Jackman Radio prevails and it's going to be a fucking epic epic night and it's going to be a great special and uh cheers to the first amendment guys yeah hey, and not just free speech but free association too and what's yeah, that's that right with, oh you know you talk to somebody that i don't like mm-hmm. so what? on a radio show exactly scott <laughs> scott exactly it's childish it's infantile it's stupid it's soy it's all the above but, um, Scott talked to Michael Ledeen. I can't talk to Scott anymore, even though they disagreed on everything. <laughs> no, I never talked to Michael Ledeen. The old lady did, though. Oh, did I, I get that back? I think you did talk to Ledeen. I did. Sure. Yeah, way back. He's only had like 5,000 episodes. I don't know why he'd... He could remember all of them. <laughs> no, I mean, my old lady interviewed him for Raw Story back a long time ago, but... Uh, I don't think I ever talked to Michael Ledeen. I think so. Anyway, we could say, oh, his old lady talks, and that's two Kevin Bacon degrees away. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I do concede that I got what Biden got, and I can't remember half the shit I used to know, so I don't know. Maybe I did. So, Scott, what's censorship been like for you? Have you dealt with it a lot, or do they leave you alone at all? Or how's it gone after you? I don't think anybody cares what I say enough to try to censor me, really. I mean, other well, than... they went after antiwar.com. That's right. Yeah, I mean, as part of antiwar.com, I got 
you know, and I guess I'd like to think that I was the reason why, but I'm sure I wasn't. Um, it's Justin who is doing the heroic work on, on the most important stuff there. And, um, I mean, I got it all right on my show and it was really when, when Russiagate started and they did the proper not, um, you know, fake thing that they published in the Washington post where they just talked about, well, this anonymous group just names everyone who ever tells Russia's side of the story in any way as all, you know, fronts for Russian propaganda. And so and they've been going after a lot of uh, kind of right wing personalities, I guess, starting with Alex Jones and then Milo and, uh, you know, all those guys. And then they were, you know, trying to well, first of all, they were trying to push Russiagate. And then second of all, they wanted to show that they were being fair and they weren't just persecuting the Republicans. They were persecuting leftists, too. And so they went after Truth Out and Truth Dig and the World Socialist website and then threw an antiwar.com because I guess they don't know a libertarian from a leftist or they just wanted to get us anyway. And so then and really it was the World Socialists, who's a, they're a Trotskyite sect, um, who I think did the best journalism on this. Oh, Consortium News was thrown in there. Uh, Bob Perry, now a Joe Laurius site. Um and uh, but it was the world socialist that did the best reporting on how they deranked us all on Google and you know put all of this stuff. There's so many key words where antiwar.com would be the first thing that comes up. We got hundreds of thousands of pages of articles on there, I don't know the, the count, but a very high number. And um, and so uh, you know, they just deranked us to the second page and this kind of thing, which on Google is death. And it really hurt. And, you know, they had the analytics from the, you know, Alexa and whatever different versions of that Google analytics or whatever that showed that all of those sites were just, you know, suffering terribly from that. And that was, you know, starting in, I think they started pushing that. Rye, tell me if you remember better, but I think that proper not shit came out like must have been, I can't remember anymore if it was before or after the election of 2016, but it was, Maybe it was the beginning of 2017, right after the intelligence report that, you know, said that they intervened to help Trump, something like that. Must have been in early 2017. They put that out. And um, and so, yeah, that's been a problem for us. And of course, you know, on um, on Twitter, there's the question of shadow banning and all of that. And then, you know, people that we're associated with that would be amplifying our message that then they get booted off of Twitter. I was booted off of there for a little while. I think I guess Dan McAdams, who's you know one of our closest friends and colleagues, who runs the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity with Ron Paul, they kicked him off permanently for calling Sean Hannity a retard. You know, which look, if you call an actual retarded person retard, then somebody should probably punch you in the face. Right? Like you shouldn't do that, but. Sean Hannity is not developmentally challenged. He's just a well, bad, stupid, horrible person. And so <laughs> in that case, he was really just using a creative term for stupid, which, you know, there's probably no retarded people reading Dan McAdams' Twitter to have their feelings hurt by that anyway. You know, like, what's really the harm in that? But they use that as the excuse. Oh, and you know what the occasion was, too? It was Hannity was incensed that the CIA had gone after Trump. And he's saying that CIA, they're the deep state and they're the bad guys in all this. But he's got uh, literally has a CIA 
lapel pin on his suit at the time that he's talking. And McAdams is going, look, you dumb dumb. <laughs> You're going to have to pick one or the other kind of points of view here. You can't have them both at the same time was all it was. Um, but yeah, I'm just complaining and rambling now. But I just friend of Dan Adams and myself. Dan and was Michael a great Kyle. Twitterer, man. A great one. Michael Kyle was kicked off Twitter after he had died just from something, you know, Michael who? Michael Kyle, the Irish journalist. He's friends with McAdams. And that oh, was okay. his record. And he had already passed away. And then they got rid of that. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I never can pronounce his name because it's spelled all funny, but yeah, it's been like it looks like Miko A. O'Cathale or something, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, in Irish. Yeah, he had the and, and of course, the Peter Van Buren, absolute firebrand, former State Department official and whistleblower. Mm -hmm. We meant well is the book, and you know, he got thrown off this guy, tattletailed on him because he said he, he was in the middle of watching a zombie show, well, Walking Dead or one of these. And uh, one of these crybabies was on some Russiagate thing, whatever it was. And Van Buren said, I hope a MAGA guy eats your face. And the guy, it was Jonathan Katz is the guy's name, went and tattletailed to the Twitter police that this mm. guy's threatening to sick zombies on me or something. And got, you know, one of our best guys thrown off of Twitter permanently for that. I'd like a thousand people giving me physical threats from Black Lives Matter. And none of them got banned, but I did. Yeah, they said they wanted me dead. We're going to beat me up. And I was like, no, you're not. You're not going to do anything. So all they could do is get me kicked off Twitter for the umpteenth time. It's they complain about election interference and Facebook, Twitter and YouTube ban the president. They ban congressmen. They ban the both. Both of the Republicans in the Georgia Senate race got kicked off. Facebook had their fundraising page in the middle of an election that would you know, decide who was going to run the Senate. And, you know, they, Russiagate kept getting bigger and bigger. Not only did they supposedly make Hillary lose in 2016, but Hunter's laptop is supposed to be Russian propaganda. That was officially said in the debates. And then they have all these the debates, and we didn't do anything on foreign policy. They talked about the Proud Boys more than our entire foreign policy. And I don't think most people had ever even heard of that group until they brought it up on the debate stage. It's just some yeah. insignificant nothing group. <laughs> well, you know, as much as they rigged, and I don't know about the vote count, but just the entire, you know, the way the media and the establishment rigged the whole season against Trump and the way they did, he still is number one by far in first place for people who lost that election for him. And that was especially by means of suppressing all the mail-in voting and just telling people that, Mail-in voting is corrupt, it's evil, it's bad, it's gay, it'll give you the cooties, whatever you do. If you don't want to show up and vote for me on election day, don't bother. You know, that was his message for months. And that absolutely must have been worth four or five points in all 50 states, you know, across the board for him to do that. At one point, he went to Florida and DeSantis said, don't say that here, man. We win by mail here. And this is really bad. And anybody could just think it through that the people who skew wealthy and Republican are also skew old and afraid of the germ and have the most incentive to stay home rather than show up and vote in person. And so what he could have done was said, look, in fact, he's such a BS artist. He could have said, we're going to win by mail and we're going to win in person. But at least on the, you know, playing that 
uh, you know, on the on the game that he would at least get a good percentage of the mail in votes. Listen, if you can't vote in person, by all means, vote by mail. If your cousin's too stubborn to show up and vote in person, but you can get him to vote by mail, get him to vote by mail. If he'd done all of that, he would have won by far. And instead, he suppressed his own stupid vote, basically saying, well, mail-in voting is bad, really, really bad, really, really, really bad. And then hopefully somehow after election day, when all the mail-in ballots start coming in, leaning hard to the left, then I'll just throw a temper tantrum and say that they shouldn't count. And Eric, somehow, can you even uh, though, say what Trump said? About yeah, the I mean, the governors and the secretaries of state are not in his chain of command at all. But he thinks that somehow they're just going to throw out millions of ballots for him when no, they're not going to. And they Scott, I made, I made a little call to Fartzenberger there in Pennsylvania. And I said, look, I need you to find... 230,000 votes. Exactly. Okay. Just find them. I don't care where you have to look. If you have to look under the couch where the clicker is, maybe Jesus is down there. He could be down there too. I don't know. Maybe some loose change is down there. Ryan, we know you love loose change. Uh -huh. We know you love loose change. But find the votes for me, Scott. Okay. And we will win this thing. And the whole thing was rigged. It was totally rigged. It was a disaster. And we know what happened. And I really won. Okay. I really won. I won the thing. Well, they're doing it up here in New Hampshire in, in Wyndham, where Corey Lewandowski is from, Trump's number one bag man here from the state. They're they're doing the, the audit and they're I just think it's a giant waste of time. I don't think anything's gonna come from the audit, like Maricopa County in Arizona and I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is is that is that just a giant waste of time or is anything gonna come from Sounds it? like someone's not trusting the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, mean, I thought I they might blame that on Russia, too, but they said uh, they're blaming the, the Capitol riot. Uh, they're saying it's white supremacists. I'm like, hold on now. It wasn't a bunch of white supremacists. It was I mean, they were dumb as white supremacists, but I didn't see any of that. There was a bunch of like QAnon people and stuff. And they went there because they legitimately in their mind believe there was voter fraud and they wanted it to do contest it. And they did that because. The media and social media did not allow any dialogue. Like, if you want to put that to rest, then you have open discussion and you explain how Biden got all these votes only in swing states, only in these cities, in the middle of the night with only his team counting. And you have audits and you allow that because there's nothing to hide. They didn't do any of that. They didn't even let people ask about it. So that's why it got to the point where they physically showed up and did something stupid. We find out later, well, there was COINTELPRO in there egging it on the whole time. They were never going to allow a discussion with Ted Cruz and the rest of them about voter fraud. And that was not going to happen. If they couldn't get the people there, the FBI would stage it themselves, which is often the case. And the only person in media I think that's mentioned that is Tucker Carlson, who's often out there on his own. Tucker. Well, the thing is, too, though, is Trump could have and should have conceded long before that for him to even show up that day and ask people to show up that day. And I don't think he wanted them to go inside the building when he said, let's go down to the Capitol and fight. He meant stand there and chant. That's the American way, you know, go and protest. Avenue is what still, he said. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen that somehow they're going to disrupt the ceremony where Pence does not count the electoral votes? And then what? July 20th or January 20th will be canceled and he'll get to stay president for the next four years. No, they just need, under what they no need possible to circumstance. Was that going to be the outcome? The electoral college had already sure. voted. 
he'd already lost. And even if he wanted, let's say it was really right that he really, really, really had reason to believe that they stole four or five or six states or whatever on the margin and that he should have won. Still, once the Electoral College votes, then you got cheated fair and square and it's over. There's nothing left to fight about there. And I don't know if you guys saw this. It's I don't know. But it was Maggie Haberman, the Trump reporter at the Times, uh, claimed this. And then a reporter for the National Review said, this is true, man. I got multiple sources saying this to me, too, that Trump is talking about at least telling people that he thinks the military is going to reinstate him in August once it's proven how stolen from him all these states are. And then people are believing this. Of course, there's nothing in the Constitution that, in fact, as the guy in the National Review put it, that even if they came up with a videotape of Biden making a secret deal with the Venezuelans and the Chinese to steal all the ballots and steal the election, there's still nothing you could do about it. There's no, no reinstate clause in the Constitution for that. All you could do would be impeach and remove him and wait till the next election. But you couldn't, there's no, under no possible conceivable instance, would there be any mechanism, any legal mechanism or constitutional mechanism to give the presidency back to Trump. But he's telling his people to believe this. Did you, you know? guys, it's did not. you guys see Into the Storm on HBO by Colin Hoback all about Q? He went over to Japan. He oh, met no. with the Watkins no, father, the Watkins son. I mean, I just, people who, who still harp on about Q, I say, watch that fucking documentary. Everyone who buys into the Q bullshit, who has been proliferating it, talking about it, these are the fucking losers who played you. Ron and Jim Watkins, father and son duo. They played many, you guys. How many people do you and guys Lynn actually Wood, know Sydney really Powell. believe it, though? Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't think I know anyone who really well, believes The Q. thing is, it's a, like a false, false flag. Like, QAnon's retarded. Yeah. That, exactly. that, but, and those, that stuff's stupid. That doesn't mean totally independent from Q that there are not legitimate reasons to believe they rig elections. Well, oh, of yeah, course, no, of course they do. Yeah, yeah. But as far as what happened was, it's, it wasn't like they're going to reinstate Trump. It's that for people to have faith in the system, they needed to allow the argument to be made and discussed to show here's what happened. Look, you actually lost, and show that to everybody, and allow a dialogue. So at least they feel like. Well, we had a senator and 50 different congressmen because that's what they had all. You know, they contested Arizona and this and that. More people voted. Some dead people voted, whatever. That happens all the time. And just explain the whole thing and put it to rest. But instead, they're like, uh -uh, you're not allowed to talk about it. And they do this. They did it with voter fraud. They did it with the, the coof with covid. And now well, the they're thing saying, is they well, did maybe file, it did get leaked out or not. They, but we, we don't know because you're not allowed like to discuss it. I mean, they, the Trump people filed 60-something lawsuits or whatever. Yeah, but that was cute. But that was Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood. It was like these these are retard lawsuits, right? And that's why they got dismissed. Like, these are the same people that said Obama was a yeah. birther and a secret Muslim. And we're dealing no, no, with no. double digits. I mean, that's really people. not right. That That's really not right. I mean, it was the state parties hired lawyers who were from their states to take this to court all over the country. So I think that Lynn Wood, Sidney Powell stuff is obviously was part of it. But there were well, many cases in state court where court, the judges were just saying, look, where's the beef, man? And the lawyers were saying, yeah, actually, we don't have any. We just want you to throw out all the black votes because we don't like how black people vote. OK, well, see you next time, boys. Good luck. I mean, oh, four, you had demonstrable fraud in Ohio. The Green Party had to launch that uh, recount with Kerry and Bush. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. That was that was legit voter fraud, right? 
didn't yeah, uh, what about Iowa? Made about the fact it, yeah. that you don't have voter ID in some states and counties is ridiculous already. And they're saying that's Jim Crow. It is not Jim. You can't compare that Jim Crow laws. You have to have an ID to vote one time. That's normal yeah. in any country that allows votes in the world has voter ID, except the U.S. So since we're right, all here, what do you guys think is a libertarian response to voter fraud? What 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 can li people, liberty minded people, what what's what's the answer and solution to this? I just I just had one quick question before that. Um, I'm wondering what it would take to convince Trump supporters that he lost. Kind of just like it takes to convince COVID people that COVID is not the end of the world. I mean, like, I, it's an honest question. I'm not even making a statement. I'm just wondering for him to say what, so. yeah, what yeah. legitimate um, argument would it take for Trump supporters and Trump to be like, okay, we lost. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like an audit would have done it. I just don't. I mean, even I think if you he, have to allow dialogue, it's like nobody can have confidence in a conclusion that you're not allowed <clears throat> to discuss. Even yeah, if well, you are right, like global warming no, I, alarm or whatever, right? I, I there's, agree with there's you. people I'm who just, think COVID is not the end of the like, world. Some people think, think it's a hoax. There's there's it's like stupid on both sides there. But it's because there's no discussion. They're like, it's not a fucking hoax. Like I had it. It's the real thing. It's also not the end of the world. Right. But the hoaxer side is not allowed to talk. The alarmists are. So it just gets more and more in that direction, further and further that way. Same thing with global warming. It is getting warmer. No, it's not going to be gone in 10 years and some of the exaggerations that they've said and stuff. But because you're not allowed to discuss it at all, unless you're you know, in one direction, it gets further and further toward that side of the kook meter. And there's a lot of topics like that. If you don't yeah. allow dialogue, how can anybody have confidence in your conclusion where they're like, yeah, but like even Mark Zuckerberg had questions about vaccinations. Right. And I guess he had them personally answered, but he didn't allow his whole Facebook uh, audience to have the same questions and have them addressed. So like if I, if I can't ask this, it looks like you're hiding something. Da, 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 da. So if you don't allow, again, free speech and dialogue, no one is going to have confidence in the conclusion you come up with because they're like, yeah, but you didn't let us challenge that at all. Can't even not even allowed to ask about it. They'll do a little thing on Twitter, say this is disinformation and they see them. This it's their media's fault that people are so radicalized, like they lied about all these wars, right? right. WMDs in Iraq, et cetera. And so they're like. I don't know what to think anymore. And that's why they gravitate to the Alex Joneses and loose changes and, you know, the weirdos and stuff, because they're constantly lied to on television. Joe Biden said Hunter's laptop is Russian propaganda. No, it's not. That is his laptop. He, that is him on the laptop doing drugs and hookers and the rest of it. Right. The Bidens are a, a criminal syndicate. So is Trump. Right. And it's amazing to me that none of that came up when they're debating. They didn't talk about. Trump's association with Bob Labuti and the mafia in New York or any of that. And they didn't talk about Biden and Whitey Bulger or any of that. Nah, it's all just surface level identitarian things that don't really matter. The mayor of Moscow is what yeah. Trump said a well, bunch of times. <laughs> she, she, that one's true, actually. They did receive a lot of money from Russia. And yeah, but Trump has on, been a laundromat for the CFR admitting he got rid of the prosecutor in Ukraine. Yeah. Right? And, and not only that, but we had five hours translated into English from the anti-corruption agency in Ukraine about the Bidens and all their deals. And it just not, it doesn't matter. It's not on TV. So no one sees it. Right. And Trump's yeah. been a laundromat for Soviet money for forever. Sorry, Scott, go ahead. Oh yeah. No, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, yeah, Trump had, well, Russian money anyway, and, and going back, but going back um, to the Soviet union. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the, the Hunter Biden laptop thing, importantly, 
there was no plausible explanation whatsoever why anyone would believe that that was Russian at all. There was no narrative. No one even said, well, look, I mean, obviously, probably what happened was the Russians made up all this stuff, dropped it off at this place in Delaware for repairs and to set it right. Like no one even tried to all explain it in a way with a real story. It was just that Clapper and Brennan and those guys released a letter that said it looks like Russian disinformation to us. And I, in fact, I remember seeing on um, on Reddit the the uh, you know standard point of view mocking the, con the oh yeah right. Let me get this straight. Hunter Biden just leaves his laptop at this computer repair repair place in Delaware, even though he lives in California, and just. Right. Like it just goes out saying we know, obviously, if even the CIA guys are saying this must have come from the Russians, then clearly it did. And anyone trying to deny that and say that it's actually seems like it probably is his laptop. That's total crazy kook conspiracy land. And just, you know, you kind of got to marvel at it and give them credit for being that successful with the public relations when there really was no narrative that even made any sense whatsoever how this thing could have come from russia and it's already on the record we already know that this guy is a crackhead we already know that he was cheating with his uh on his wife with his dead brother's widow and all of this stuff you know and this a hooker who he got pregnant so, and then denied yeah. it was him no but dude hunter's an absolute he's an absolute dropped off his laptop no he's that's a, crazy that could never happen you know he's a complete legend i love reading about how biden's former secret service detail when he was vp codenamed celtic or Celtic, those guys are now private. They had to go out to California and clean up fucking Hunter's mess out there when he was at some high-end hotel, and he paid some call girl a bunch of times through a cash app where it didn't go through, and it, and then too much went through, and it paid her twenty-five grand or something. But uh, I just make the point to people that the children, <laughs> the children of all the elites, of all the, the the politicians, they grew up in a freak circus. So a, a lot of them are not going to be well-adjusted adults or human beings they're going to be crack puppets like hunter biden and they're going to behave in a certain way because yeah when your dad marries your babysitter after your mom dies in a car crash that might do something to you i don't know but like you know he's there hanging out marina del a city club with peter nygaard who's shitting in people's mouths and stuff and he's in jail now but hunter isn't it doesn't matter it's like they can he could eat a baby and they would be like i i, I don't know maybe that baby you know was a human shield or something I don't know. Babies, Israelis, right, you know, babies i have the documents i got the documents i are eating babies in four by the now. way you know since you brought it up right it, and i'm sure you probably already read this but uh that car wreck and what had happened was the uh, uh the wife was driving i think the boys were in the back seat and she ran a stop sign and pulled out in front mm -hmm. of a truck and got hit which is a tragic thing. The wife and the daughter died. Who was she? Was really young. I think she was like a toddler. Was the it's daughter's age this time? December and then, But then, Biden spent decades lying and smearing the truck driver, and he would tell the story that yes, yeah, see, this truck driver had drank his lunch that day, and so he wasn't paying attention. He killed my wife and all this stuff. When that just wasn't true at all. The guy hadn't had a drop. And she was the one who had run the stop sign, which whatever, an accident is just an accident, right? It's not like blame her. It was, you know, Frank Biden ran up. into a but, man and killed him and left two daughters orphaned and wouldn't pay the family. Yeah. I mean, and so 
But this guy for years and his family, I think after he died, finally his family came out and complained about it. But he had just sat there and taken it in silence for years, being smeared by a U.S. senator that he was essentially a child killer through his criminal negligence. When this is, of course, the worst thing that ever happened to him. And it happened to him. Mm -hmm. Right. It wasn't something that he did. It happened to him. And he died. And. But to Joe Biden, this is nothing to just smear this guy for decades and call him an alcoholic and a lush and a loser and a scumbag for killing his wife and baby. While his brother yeah. is guilty of what he's accusing the other guy of, and he helps him hide and launder his money, then they get involved with the the uh, Sanford. Wait, Ponzi talk about scheme. that. Your Joe Biden's brother killed somebody like that. George yeah, Biden? Frank. But you got to see uh, Corn Pops Revenge. It went all into the Bidens. Joe Biden's brother hit a man. Was it in Florida, Eric? You saw the thing. Any Florida or California. He hit a guy who had two daughters. And he, was Florida. they didn't have them. Yeah, it was in Florida. He runs over them and kills them and orphans these two kids and then totally refused to pay. And he's going like 90. It was totally his fault. He refused to pay. And then he lives in this giant house. He's got these nice cars and everything. He acts like he has no money. They went to try to garnish it. And he had $28 in his bank account because he moved it all around. The other Bidens helped to move the money around. But these, this is a family. They're, Bo Biden dies of brain cancer. They set up a cancer research fund, collect $4 million, and spent none of it on research. Yeah. I mean, that's there is no bottom to these people. And none of that you came out because... You your own son's death that way? Just for the cash. I can't, I by can't the way, imagine how do you get it. brain cancer? He got brain cancer from fighting in Biden's wars in Kosovo and Iraq War II. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, though. The I'm, so, I'm so goddamn proud of Hunter. I'm so proud of him. He's the smartest man I've ever known. He's got a memoir coming out. It's called Iraq, Barack, and Crack. It's coming out soon. <laughs> it's coming that. out soon. Yeah, the Biden thing, I mean, it's it's people just that the... the, the uh, the press is giving the dude a tongue bath. I mean, here's, he's, here's my favorite, the re recent one. I don't have a favorite. He's the guy's almost as bad as Richard Pearl. Like that whole family together is like half as bad as Richard Pearl is just by himself. But the most recent thing is Hunter Biden's texts come out. Yeah, he called somebody uh, the N word a few times. Then he referred to Asians as yellow. But I'm like, whatever. That's you know, private email to somebody or something. It's not that bad. But compared to him saying, hey, go get me some sex slaves and but no yellow ones and the what they're outraged about is that he referred to asians as yellow not the go get me some sex slaves part right god yeah damn. that's the that's you know? the whole conversation <laughs> in the text message is choosing the race of the person he's gonna get you know <laughs> but Fair that's up. what they're outraged about it, ralph nader said that to a group of college kids he just went on this long talk of all the all this anti-corporate anti-war stuff and they got on his case about I don't, some word he had used or whatever. Maybe he said Negro because he's old and that's what they used to say or colored people or something like that. Instead, of, He said colored people instead of people of color. It's the same damn thing, whatever. And he's like, that's what gets a rise out of young people. I just listed all these wars and all these people that are now dead because of these lies and profiteers. And you just sit there quiet and... You know, but yeah, a racial slur, ethnic slur, sexual slur. That's that's what gets you out of your seat. Like they can make slavery gate again in Libya. Right. Sell a human being for four hundred dollars and murder. I don't even know how many people died in Libya. Maybe Scott knows, but a lot more than none, you know, 
and thousands at least man thousands at least and then because and we don't even get numbers on that because they don't care right they hand the country over to al-qaeda uh kill Gaddafi, which isn't our business to be doing and they're like well at least he didn't use a racial slur he killed a bunch of africans and made slavery happen in north africa again but hey at least they had good language you know someone else it, it says you know they accuse trump of saying they're rapists i think he said they there are rapists whatever he was just he's a basically a nazi you know and all his supporters are nazi they freaked out more on the kid that was wearing a maga hat just standing still on the steps of the lincoln memorial having people yell at him and another guy a mapeaneo banging a drum in his face just for sitting there and because that he smirked at some point like this is how bad they freak out they they so desperately need a witch to burn and it has to be identitarian crap because they yeah. can't talk about anything serious which is well, what also, this guy listen, was about. <laughs> it's because they're stupid right i mean you can if you're going to sit here and talk about you know natural rights theory or your version of the history of the war between the states or some kind of complicated thing that's all complicated but use a bad word call somebody a bad name fly the wrong flag some kind of thing didn't you hear that jimmy cheated on sally or where anybody can talk about that you don't have to know anything right and so yeah, but you know that's that always easy for people right? to the knee jerk like, against you know what i mean killed if, a bunch if of i'm people. gonna talk about libya i'm gonna have to know something about libya first and i, I don't know where so it is it. yeah <laughs> you know but if, i feel like some of them you're right some of them are just stupid but i think it's not a for a lot of them it's not an intellectual issue it's a psychological issue like they they're smart enough to know that slavery's in this century is wrong like they can rant and rave about how bad it was in the 19th century because there's no skin in the game that issue's been resolved they can't rant and rave about making slavery in libya because their team did it this got a d next to his name and then they're responsible for something they don't want to be responsible for anything yeah. you can you can shit all over the nazis because there aren't any nazis anymore and you can shit all over slavery in the 19th century which was global by the way and was in the north and south that was another thing they just had a holiday juneteenth when slavery ended in texas and i'm like you know it didn't end in the united states until december right because all those northern slave states kentucky delaware maryland new jersey missouri washington dc west virginia they all had slaves until the 13th amendment was passed which it wasn't passed on its first try because four northern states shot it down that's not why they were fighting. Like, if you're going to celebrate the end of slavery, then do it on December 6th. But that was got to be in June because that's when the Confederacy got rid of slaves. And like in Texas, Texas wasn't even Texas. Half of Texas was still Comanche territory and still had slaves. Can I interject here? Hey, we just got a nice shout out from Maria Farmer on Twitter. She's watching us, guys. So I want to give her give her some love. She's an Epstein survivor and uh, she's watching us and supporting us. So I, I want to give her some love. And Scott, I wanted to, I want to ask you, Scott, you were on <laughs> someone's show. I don't remember who it was or someone was on your show. And you had said some a villager in Afghanistan was had no idea 9-11 even happened. And the oh, way the translator could explain it to him, he said a plane hit a building in a village called New York City. So I, I wanted to just ask you about that. Like, what, what was that all about and, and where in Afghanistan was that? Sure. So now there's polls going back for years and years that I guess the last one that I saw where, and, you know, who knows about polls in Afghanistan, but this is must be in the ballpark. 
where 92% of Afghans had never heard of the September 11th attacks on the United States and, you know, had no idea that there were a few Arabs hiding out in the Nangarhar province uh, circa the end of 2001. Made no difference to them. And, you know, it depends on where you go and who you ask. But there are a lot of places in Afghanistan where they're really not part of a nation of Afghanistan at all, where they're really tiny little self, you know, independent, can't call them city states, but like valley states from valley to valley to valley, where they just have their own little traditions and their own little dialect and their own little history. And for example, I've heard this over and over and over again and, and read this over again and had uh, veterans tell me their own version of this exact same story, including Matthew Ho, the great whistleblower, that Wherever our guys go in Afghanistan, they'd be mistaken for Russians because the locals <laughs> didn't even know that the Russians had left or that the Americans had arrived. Even though the Americans have been, the Russians have been gone for 20 years and the Americans had been there for 10. And they, they are like, oh no, the Russians are, you know, have arrived in our valley, you know, they have no idea what's going on here. So then the anecdote that you're talking about is... Frank Ledwidge, who is a Royal Navy, British Royal Navy intelligence officer who was stationed down in the Helmand province right at the dawn of the surge. And the way he explained the story to me was when I tell the Helmanis, because they asked me, why are you guys back here? Because, of course, this is old British hunting grounds, uh, losing grounds uh, from their previous imperial adventures. Killer of empires. Yeah, and, and, and especially in the Helmand province specifically, where you can point at a former British fort up there and go, you guys know the story of your last stand there when we killed every last one of you, right? And which to, to the Afghans is the day before yesterday, even though it was 150 years ago or whatever. But anyway, um, so why are you back here? And then Frank Ledwidge would explain to them that, well, some Arabs crashed a plane or some planes into some buildings in a village called New York in the valley far away from here. And then they would say, well, what the hell does that have to do with us? Right? Because <laughs> unlike what Americans might think with, you know, Durka Durka Jihad and everything is all one little space here, the Afghans aren't Arabs. The Afghans live on the far side of Persia from where the Arabs live. And they just have nothing to do with this. They're not they might as well either. be bombing the Brazilians, right? It's just, it's completely disconnected. Right. Um, now, it's, it's true that there were Al-Qaeda guys in Afghanistan back then, but that didn't make them indigenous to Afghanistan or mm -hmm. part of Afghan culture or society in any real way whatsoever. Um, and and then what I really like about it, right, is, first of all, the true innocence, right? That here we are. We're at war against these people in their own uh, in down in the Helmand province where Al-Qaeda never was. This has nothing to do with the people who attacked us. And it has so little to do with the people who attacked us that the people that we're attacking have no idea what we're even talking about. And and then I to me, this is the real rub, right, is that. And yes, I'm an American, but I'm from Texas and maybe this is prejudicial, but I think this still probably holds right that New York is the most important city in the world. This is the financial capital of the world. This is where the United Nations was headquartered after the end of the Second World War. This is the seat of the American empire, the American world empire. And these Helmanis have never even heard of it. A village called New York in a valley far away because they've never even heard of the new world. 
They have no idea that America, North or South, even exists at all. And yet somehow, by some kind of collective guilt, they've got to tolerate the British Army and the American Marine Corps waging this full-scale war against them for having the temerity to defend their own land, to stand on their own damn front lawn. Yeah. What's sad is the the, interpretation... <clears throat> that interpretation of a couple of planes, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I'm allergic to Israel. <clears throat> a couple of planes hit some buildings in a village called New- in New York. Now those Afghan peasants are more educated on 9-11 than anybody that watched Loose Change because they yeah. got more. That's more accurate than that yeah. film. The only thing that Loose Change got correct about 9-11 was the date. Hey, that's my line that you stole from me. I had not heard you say that. I've been maybe, saying that a long time. Wait, maybe you also watched all four versions of that and concluded the same thing. That Well, they got the date of the attack right. It was September 11, 2001. <laughs> I, uh, sure. I definitely have seen it, and uh, I can't stand those people. I have to put up with their minions every day. They say things. It's not even their own words. No building ever fell from fire. It went its own footprint. And I'm like, these aren't even your own words. Pull it, Larry. So I'm like, okay, I, I stuck with me, Scott. I think, we stuck get, with me. Uh, I think we should get Jason Burmis on here for one of the Four Horsemen episodes just to make things kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll invite I, I Jason here. I, mean, I have look, like pictures I, of the hole in the Pentagon. Like, just I know, under my I know, chair. Ryan, you have issues. But I'm, I'm, bu- I'm buddies with the Loose Change guys. I, I know them personally. They, they're they're actually great guys. Well, Burmis and Whitney Webb are supposed to be in an Epstein round Yeah, one of them. Both of them ran away. Look, Boy, this, uh, this John Bolton guy who's throwing money, he's loaded, whoever he is. So thanks for all the money, buddy. <laughs> John Bolton's a loser, by the way. <laughs> one, of the, one of the loose change guys admitted to, I think, Slate back in like 2012 yeah, we or 13. That, yeah, okay, that was all bullshit. Yeah, we we're wrong about that. You know. Well, look, um, Burmis is way, a good researcher. He, he's, I, he's I a- sat next to one of those guys on a plane. I wish that was me. And then, but we just didn't talk about it because what were we gonna do? I'm gonna sit here and fight with him about 9/11 the whole uh, way on home. a plane just, talking a plane. about planes. Yeah, that yeah. would be a bad move. All and anybody so hears is blah blah blah. blah, blah sure he didn't know who I was, but I recognized him. I don't remember which one of them it was. But. No, no. I mean, look, I know Jason really well. I went to I fucking went to Ghislaine Maxwell's house with Jason Burmis, guys last All summer right. when that bitch got arrested here in New Hampshire. Just like the tell him heart- to admit a plane hit the Pentagon. That would undo a lot of damage. <laughs> All right, I'll, See, I'll it's ask very you important to have a plane look, hit the Pentagon. Look, if you don't have a plane hitting the Pentagon, you don't have the hijackers that were on that plane, right. and then you cannot trace them back to meeting and, Kelly. And, and that was that was really based, Scott. When you were on Tim Pool, and Tim Pool's like, "Why should I care about this?" And you're like, Muhammad "Well, Muhammad Atta crashed fucking Flight 11 into the North Tower because of what was happening in Israel and Gaza." That was fucking base, yeah. dude. I was screaming way, when you did fly. that. That was great. <laughs> you know. um, uh, as far as uh, kind of the red herring aspect there that you bring up, right, where geez, if Donald Rumsfeld shot a missile at his own Pentagon while he was sitting in it, then I guess it's not a scandal that the CIA followed the hijackers from the Malaysia meeting to Bangkok <laughs> to LAX and then set them free in America for a year and a half before they suicide crashed that plane in the damn building, right? Well, I got one too, Building 7 big fake stupid red herring when there was mm-hmm. not a single demolition charge in that building and i know every every single fireman was not surprised that it was coming down no they knew it was coming down and listen i i <clears throat> well two things about this first of all you can find at my website from a long time ago the final word on building seven or the last word on building seven and it's about 
I don't know, eight or 10 different quotes from the firefighters saying they knew Building 7 was coming down. And they're debriefed that night and the next day saying, yeah, me and Jimmy, we're in the bank building and Building 7 was making a loud noise and we could see it moving, you know, creaking and bending and whatever. And that was when I called the chief and said, you better pull everybody back. And the that southwest corner quote, was missing. Yeah, and, and, and the fake quote of Larry Silverstein saying, and that was when we decided to pull it, He's talking about his conversation with the fire chief, not the CIA demolition bomb expert, his <laughs> his conversation with the fire chief to pull the brigade back. Let's they not even bother enough to fire already because yep. we're too busy digging in the rubble across the street and the building is a, a total loss anyway. And it had been hit by the North Tower and burned all goddamn day. And there's no, no affirmative reason whatsoever to believe that there was a bomb in there unless just that's your religion okay that's it but here is a real building seven scandal okay yeah but scott they've just based on eyeballing it <laughs> oh yeah no free fall even though it's still standing while stuff there is the a scandal with the, the fire prevention systems being dismantled anyway. beforehand yeah. people got arrested and sat in jail for 10 years for that all right but so here's the here's the real building seven scandal and it is a real one although yeah so anyway, it's that Rudy Giuliani insisted on putting the emergency command center at Building 7. And the, the cops and the firefighters begged him not to because guess what? This is the most obvious terrorist target in the United States of America. It's already been hit once. They vowed to come back and hit it again. And so they begged him to put it at Queens, in Queens. And instead, Giuliani wanted to be able to walk from the mayor's office to the emergency command center. And so building seven was close enough. And so he insisted on putting it there. But then, so, and this didn't come out, this footage didn't come out. And this goes to the bombs that were not in the towers either. Um, the police footage of the cops in the helicopter at the up at the, the uh, height of the towers level. And they're saying this building is making loud noises and is creaking and moving and it's going to come down. Get everybody the hell out of there. And the cops got the message and the cops got out of the building. I think only a small handful of cops died when the towers collapsed. But the firefighters didn't get the message. And the reason they didn't get the message was because Rudy Giuliani was absent from the emergency command center, which was closed for business that day since the complex was under uh, a terrorist attack at the moment. And so there was no one there. To you know, they got Motorola here and some other brand of radio there. Yeah, they're the radio. on different that's channels a big, that can't that's talk a big to scandal, each other. Scott. That is a big yeah. scandal. It's the radio. So the firefighters, not only were the firefighters not escaping with their lives, the firefighters were still going up the stairs with their hoses, obstructing all the people who were trying to get down. When the firefighters should have been picking up a lady over each shoulder and running down those damn stairs and getting everybody the hell out of there. There's no and way Giuliani did all this grandstating about the firemen that lost their lives and not yeah. mentioning how part of that is his responsibility. That's right. And, and meanwhile, so then Rudy's out in the street running for president. Look at me. I'm the mayor of America <clears> out <throat> here in the street, acting all tough and proud when he was absolutely negligent, absent without leave from his post that day and responsible for the deaths, not just of those firefighters, but all the civilians that they could have saved and or also were obstructing on their way down those stairwells for, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long it was, but it was long enough for all the cops to get the hell out of there. Yeah. You know what Trump said about Rudy 
Trump Trump said uh, Giuliani is one of the best mayors we've ever had. He's a smart guy. Stop and frisk was so successful that I made it the policy backstage at my beauty pageants. <laughs> I did. I did, yeah, Scott. It's so true. Carrick. Yeah. So, so true. Scott, Barney I, Carrick. I've got a question, Scott. Um, I know like you hate the kooky 9-11 conspiracies just like everyone in this chat does but um i hate them the most because i, yeah, I deal with them every we, day so we know we know right what ryan thinks we've had him on many times talk about it but yeah i, I want to know this like, kind of stuff you know with anthrax and all but it's like like there, that's something people get lost in the physics and shit. i'm sorry i get triggered on this stuff but it's like okay they 100 percent lied about iraq having something to do with anthrax right with the meeting yep. of Prague and da 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 right 100 james woolsey fred barnes gary schmidt weekly standard as they lie about everything else about iraq they erroneously got a 9-11 in iraq attached which is like bombing mexico after pearl harbor level stupid and even after the fact they can't say it and i know people my age that signed up to join the military because they thought Saddam Hussein had something to do with September 11th and Iraq had nothing to do with September 11th. Forget about inside job and all that, like visit that after. That's a clear deception about 9-11 and you can't get to that because of the missile tards and bombing every window people, you know, just won't shut up. And so right. it's, it's what QAnon did to voter fraud. It's like, well, you ruined that. Like we, yeah. we can't talk about that in an adult way because you made a tar baby out of it. Yeah. What I wanted to ask is, do you, to what level do you think Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the CIA could have been involved with 9-11? Yeah, so that's what I was just going to say was like this gets to what you're talking about. is If all the missile hit the Pentagon and bombs and Building 7 stuff is a bunch of stupid red herrings, which it always has been, then what are the important questions right in other words if there was no you know already predisposed conspiracy theory movement in america ready to cash in on that tragedy and you just had real uh journalists with courage who were willing to look at it what's the question well the question is what did prince bandar and prince turkey know and when did they know it and you're going to waterboard somebody let's waterboard them and their closest friends in the vice president's office and see who we can get to start pointing fingers at each other. Because you do have a severe dereliction of duty, which by the way, though, goes back, of course, deep into the Clinton years, where these Al-Qaeda guys had been in the country uh, since I think the, they, you know, the first real ass Al-Qaeda guys got here in early 2000. And, you know, like a year and a half before the attack. And so, and, and frankly, I mean, I really do think not to, excuse anybody because i'm really not excusing anybody i mean this to me is criminally negligent homicide but i think you really do have a situation where the cia the fbi and the nsa too would not work together at all and the cia want to go to war with these guys kill them and or kidnap them and send them home to be you know tortured and imprisoned where the fbi wanted to indict them and lock up all their intelligence behind a grand jury where the cia and nobody else could get to it either and then you had the NSA, which just wouldn't share anything with anything. If you read um, uh, uh, James Bamford's great book, The Shadow Factory, he talks about how the CIA and the NS and the FBI were dying to get intercepts from the NSA that just absolutely would not share them, and including the switchboard house in Yemen, where Hani Hanjour, who, if you believe a missile hit the Pentagon, doesn't exist and doesn't matter. But if you don't, then he's one of the guys that the CIA followed to the United States who crashed 77 into the Pentagon, his father-in-law ran what they call the switchboard house, 
where they took all the calls between Afghanistan and Europe and the United States to coordinate and Pakistan, I guess, to coordinate the attack. And the CIA knew this. We're demanding all the intercepts from the NSA and the NSA just wouldn't give them. And so the CIA, which you got to love this about their unlimited budget, basically, the CIA created their own listening station on Madagascar, the massive island off of the southeastern coast of Africa in order to try to target the Yemen switchboard house themselves, which they succeeded in doing, but they could only get half the conversation. They could hear the guys in Yemen, but they couldn't hear what was going on on the Afghanistan or European side of the line there. And so they are just severely hampered that way. And if you watch this clip, it it's, should be a famous clip. And I forget now, I must have blogged this somewhere for safekeeping, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It's Michael Scheuer, the former chief of the CIA's bin Laden unit testifying before Congress and they ask him about the FBI and about John O'Neill and John O'Neill had been the head of the New York office counterterrorism division there and Michael Scheuer you could say a lot of things about the guy but no one ever calls him dishonest I don't think he's about as straight as a shooter as you could ever deal with and he tells the congressman he says when that building came down on John O'Neill's head that was the only good thing that happened to America that day. Thank God for that. And he's just seething with rage against this man who's been dead for years at this point. And you could tell Scheuer wants to go and dig up his corpse and kill him again. And says the whole thing was his fault. And so it's, it's good that he died in the damn thing. He deserved to. And, and Scheuer may be right about that to a degree, right? That the, the, essentially these guys are all a bunch of meathead you know, like your junior high school gym coach, idiot, know nothing, know it all, you know, deputy sheriff who got a promotion. And so you put a bunch of deputy sheriff types in charge of America's national security. And this is the best that they can do. I think well, look how bad they watched 93. The they have a box of documents written in Arabic, not even in code or whatever, with all they would have needed to know. And no one bothered to read them and translate them. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, this national defense is a government program for everyone who was, you know, clenching their fists that morning, say, where are the fighter jets? Where are the fighter jets? And the answer was the fighter jets were in Saudi Arabia, bombing Iraq, motivating the attack. They're patrolling the DMZ in Korea. They're, you know, they're everywhere. They're in Europe defending Germany from a Russian invasion that ain't coming. But they're not. <laughs> ready to defend the east coast of the united states scott how deeply involved missile defense shield to protect poland from iran <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> scott how deeply involved in the 9-11 operation was the pakistani isi in the funding uh, you know i kind of think that was a red herring so there was one story i guess where i probably knows more about this than me was general mahmoud uh who had isi general mahmoud yeah. Ahmed. yeah right exactly who you know apparently was uh, at least accused of being tied to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and of sending money uh, for the attack. Through Syed Sheikh. Um, mm, and then, yeah, exactly right. So, um, you know, I think in the in the 28 or 29 pages, um, there's really a lot there once they finally declassified that. And, and you know, way, my wife, I think, did. I had all that information out to a year and a half before they released it. I put that all, all right. in. I mean, Ryan, that, that's proven, Ryan, that a, a large chunk of the operational budget came from the ISI. Well, you know, 
you have to kind of understand what Al Qaeda is and how it got started. There's some some portion of it, like the way they use them in Syria right now, right? They're on a look away list. And so they got all these money conduits. They used to use BCCI and they, they used Riggs Bank. They used uh, intermediaries, even if it's individuals like Omar Bayoubi and Hassan Basnan, I think Scott was saying earlier. I don't know if he said the names, but they, they're moving around such enormous sums. Uh, for our guys, you know, some some people are informants and things like that, too. And so you, it's hard to prove like, well, well, you're just not allowed to know is what they can always say. And this is classified and that's that. Right. But we're the ones that created Al Qaeda in the first place in Afghanistan. That was our program. And we're still using Al Qaeda fighters. And we were arming Aral Sham all the way up until they they did a stunt so bad in Syria, machine gunning women up against the walls and stuff that we, you know, even Hillary couldn't put up with that. But then they started through purple shovel and others out aiding Al Qaeda again with small arms from the black market out of Bulgaria and stuff. And we've got the serial numbers and everything. And these things have been reported on. We're constantly arming and financing Al Qaeda. It never stopped, but it's, it's just like the Contras in Iran Contra publicly. Oh, we're against the Contras. We wouldn't do that. And privately, we were the glove in the hand the whole time. Well, the hand in the glove, so excuse me. <laughs> let me let me ask you this, right? So, and the anthrax thing, I guess we'd have to do a whole treatment on that. And I'm willing to listen to you, but I think we still aren't exactly eye to eye on that. But as far as the attack, the September 11th attack, um, I wonder how you compare, you know, in terms of the analogy to the attack in 1993, where this is the Washington Post version, you know, that they admit uh would be the way that i would phrase it that the cia intervened with the state department to allow these egyptian islamic jihad terrorists into the country because these are all friends of ours from afghanistan and the blind sheikh omar abdul rahman we like him and his guys they're fine Freedom and matters. then of course you have a walk-in informant who tried to get the fbi to help him to make an inert bomb and foil the plot but the fbi supervisor just completely screwed that up and wouldn't let his agents do their job and so Ramsey Youssef came in and built the bomb and the attack happened anyway. So, you know, to sum up, the CIA was greatly involved in letting these terrorists into the country. I mean, directly involved in letting them into the country. Then mm -hmm. the FBI failed to stop the attack. And yet, from my point of view, at least, well, and obviously you can read this was... as, as you want, but that doesn't mean that this was all a plot by them to make sure that the attack happened, which is no, the way doesn't. I thought in the 90s when I was younger, you know, but obviously the Occam's razor thing here is that these guys really suck at protecting us, which they apparently don't care too much to do. And so then well, I wonder minimal, they're incompetent at minimum. Yeah, well, so like the so results going to be the same, but their so excuse for 93 was for we want you to then, incriminate the blind shake. We want you to go. It's like flipping somebody in the mob and he's ready to tell on his underboss. And they're like, no, 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 we need the boss. So they keep ignoring, 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 and then he can't get the boss. And then the underboss ends up doing an attack or whatever. That's sort of like what happened in 93. That's the incompetent excuse. All right. So if, um, if that's the but, baseline, then where does 9-11 differ from that narrative? Because, again, well, you have the CIA, you know, letting them come into the country. The guys you mentioned, Bayoumi, they're living with an FBI informant in San Diego. They're yep. training at flight schools. You have FBI agents in various places around yeah, the country who are extremely concerned. You got a pilot with two first cousins in Israeli intelligence. That's just a weird coincidence. But, man, that's odd, you know. And it's, it's not like, a, aha, this thing. It's like all these things when you add them all together.
yeah it, it just starts to be like you think i i can okay incompetence for this maybe incompetence for that but it gets to a point when the, you know the hijackers are changing their telecommunications ahead of local authorities that are trying to chase them there's so many like a thousand cuts and then you look clearly at we definitely have financed al-qaeda before and after 9-11 and so i think it's reasonable uh to wonder or to question it and then i've got enough evidence um to convince myself at least of that i think incompetence is the kind of the plausible deniability and some of it because you there's no way you could get the whole cia and this whole nsa and every, everyone's in on it that just that's practically impossible you know you can get the media to lie about it but you're gonna you're gonna have whistleblowers if somebody's in the know but we do covert operations all the time Every covert operation we've ever done is, by definition, a conspiracy theory. And right. it's just, you know, the Israelis celebrating the attacks and people being in the building, illegally doing work on the fire prevention systems. And they also um, fake their letters of credential for fire suppression to create the Denko Mechanical and all that. And Catherine Smith getting killed the day before she goes on trial. There's so many things that I wish somebody with money and subpoena power could get in and 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 look at. But you can't this all the stuff I have, the information I have, I don't know who to go to with it. Cause it's like if you start talking about 9-11, you're automatically gonna spend the next three hours saying, No, I'm not one of these things from Alex Jones or loose change and yada yada yada. Yeah. Well, right. but this is just us here. So here's the thing. I saw um you may have seen this. It was on Twitter a few years ago. I think it's not as easy to find as it was, but it's Alex Gibney, the famous um documentary uh documentarian the guy that did taxi to the dark side and all of that right and he's interviewing uh lawrence wright the new yorker journalist who wrote the book the looming tower about the attack and he's talking with doug miller and ali sufan and doug miller and i think one more actually it was doug miller's partner inside alex station who they were denied permission at least they claimed they were denied permission by the cia to share with the rest of the FBI the fact that the CIA had followed uh, Hasmi and Midhar into the country, or Hamzi. Is it Hamzi or Hasmi? I always do fuck that. Yeah, anyway. Hasmi and Al Midhar, and, and then Midhar, later yeah. Hanjor too. Because you're talking about the when they were at the Kurdish Mosque in San Diego, they, they knew Hanjor from Louisiana too. But okay, um, so but what doesn't it is, matter. Is, There's three hijackers they know Miller, about until August. They did share the information in August, but right. by then they weren't in San Diego anymore. They're right. the East Coast. Right. But so then whatever they showed, whatever they shared in August, it didn't get to Ali Sufan because Ali Sufan tells a story that he was in Yemen investigating the coal attack, which at that time it wasn't the war on terrorism. It was the Justice Department's criminal investigations of terrorism. So the FBI was in the lead. And Ali Sufan says as soon as September 11th happens, he gets a phone call and they say, come on down to the embassy, meaning CIA uh, headquarters in Yemen. Come on down here. They take him in the back and they give him a manila envelope and he opens up the manila envelope and it's the Malaysia meeting. And it has all the guys from the Malaysia meeting, half of whom did the coal attack, half of whom did the September 11th attack. And Ali Sufan says he takes one look at this and goes, oh, fuck me. Look at, ah, uh, and knows immediately this is what happened. These are the guys who did the attack here in Yemen. These are the guys who went on to do what happened in America today. And he's just, you know, yeah, there was himself, a, but what can he do? Some of them were in prison and there was a jail, 
they, they let them all out a break in wait i'm sorry say that again a lot of the people a lot of the suspects for the coal bombing <clears throat> and terrorists that were in jail in yemen were all released by Salah or by who by the americans by, by well, <laughs> well i would argue the americans got them released but you know and i wonder i wanted to ask you about this too about amar al-laki do you think that recent uh infant what was it two months ago three months ago yeah, yeah. i think that was fake news dude. The leaked audio so. yeah so the way i understand the story was a houthi spokesman claimed that they were talking about al-laki but there's no other indication in the conversation that that's who they're talking about at all so you're simply just taking the word of this Houthi spokesman saying that that's who the conversation's regarding. And so then you have Panetta saying, he's my guy, release my guy. But if you don't accept the assertion in the first place, they could be talking about anybody. Scott, it's still, you, it's still <laughs> our guy, uh, you know, somebody getting let Scott, out. Have you ever heard that's the story about, about George Tenet flailing around in a pool, screaming how the Saudis and the Israelis played him when he was drunk? No. About nine eleven. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's in a book. I, I'd have to look up where it is, but Tenet was drunk drunk on, I don't know, whatever, whiskey, whatever it is, and he was screaming how the Saudis and the Israelis played him and fucked him on 9-11. Yeah. So, you know, the as far as the high fivers and the art students and all that, that's something that I've covered on my show in depth in the past. You'd have to go back quite a few years now, but I interviewed Christopher Ketchum and Phil Giraldi and quite a few others about this. In fact, I'll, I'll uh, ask you about Phil Giraldi here on the on the Saudi role in in running the hijackers. When the 28 pages came out, my wife, Larissa Alexandrovna Horton, wrote a thing for antiwar.com, which you say you had every single thing in there already. She had almost all of it. And so the way that she wrote up her story was, here's what we already knew, and here's what we're finding out in the finally declassified pages and how it fits in context. And to her, it's extremely incriminating, although still circumstantial. But you do have where literally Prince Bandar's wife sends the check to Bayoumi uh, for, for these guys, you know, room and board and whatever. So, um, but then Giraldi, who I know to actually be, you know, more of a truther than me and extremely skeptical and willing to question authority on this issue for sure. He wrote a thing for the American conservatives saying, man, I've read the 28 pages now and I'm not impressed at all. The reality is the Saudis pay the way of Saudi nationals in the country all the time for no reason, for any reason. You're going to flight school. Here's some money. You don't have to unless you already believe in, you know, the, the pre-existing control behind their purpose here or that the Saudis already were involved or knew them at that point. You don't have to really read much more into it than that. Oh, and in fact, one more thing I'll ask you, right, is that they didn't um, just send them money. They bought them a house. I mean, it was and live with them. That's a little bit different. And you give internationals money, but not people on Interpol's most wanted list or anything, not people that are on no fly list. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, and so both of them were. Al-Hazmi, Al-Mutar and Al-Hazmi had already been. See, they'd already been <clears throat> our terrorists. We use Al-Qaeda in Bosnia and Afghanistan and other places at. I think one of them was in the coal bomb. Let me see. I've forgotten so much about 9-11 because I got sick of it around 2015 or whatever. I put my films out and stuff. I'm like, I'm done. Like, I I'm so, you. it's like the kook people, you can't, like, you can't get, it's the like same with Kennedy. They obsessed with the magic bullet and it's like, right, fuck it. You know, like, yeah, you can't deal with it. 
but um, <clears throat> well, so so I haven't read the book yet, but it's uh, Ray Noleski, who is the guy who was behind the movie Press for Truth, um, and uh, he's the guy who's on video the Rich Blee podcast. And there was part two. I never could find part two again. I think the they used clips of my film in that in their film. Uh, possibly, but they interview Richard Clark, and essentially what they decide is that Tenet was keeping all this from Clark at the White House that he was tailing these guys, and that they're, I guess, I don't know if it's Occam's Razor. Razor. They have other reasons to believe so, but their explanation was that the women at Alex station were trying to run their own op, even though they were just analysts and not operatives really, and don't know anything about real spy work, but they were trying to flip these guys and, and trying to, you know, wouldn't that be a great score if we could have a double, a set of double agents inside Al Qaeda. And so then that would be why the Saudis were Saudi intelligence in America were grooming them and protecting them, et cetera. was, that was a project they were working on that apparently at some point they just dropped or, you know, lost track of the guys and then didn't want to admit that they let them in and lost track of them, something like that. I don't know. Colfer Black has stayed pretty quiet about that, right, Ryan? Yeah, and Richard Blee. And Richard Blee. That's responsible for, in my opinion, allowing them to escape Tora Bora. Like, you can also say, oh, man, that's just another fuck up and more incompetence. But I'm like, damn, man, at what point? Like, are we that bad? Because yeah. they could have got them all. Boy, I and, sure think Tora Bora was deliberate in letting them escape there. I mean, you get no that. argument for me there. Um, although I, I don't know who else I can't prove that. that. I can't prove it. I mean, I think but. those I think that that decision really came from Bush and Rumsfeld and Franks at the very top. That we're going to we'll give you some air power, but we will not give you Rangers and Green Berets and Marines. The things you need to catch people on the ground. Yeah. And I and honestly, so if you read <laughs> Gary Bernson's book Jawbreaker or um uh oh God, what's the guy's name? Thomas Greer is uh, aka Dalton Fury is the Delta Force lieutenant colonel in charge there, it wrote the book Kill Bin Laden. And both of them say, We just couldn't understand it. We were so frustrated and we we tried to understand and it was so puzzling and and, you know, they just say that over and over again. It's a very nice way of saying that, you know, this was all clearly deliberate. Scar, are you going to debate Bill Crystal? What's going on with that, man? I saw yeah. some. I, tell me about I that. I am. October the 4th. I'm dude, how did that happen? That's going to be fucking epic, dude. I hope the fucking Rona's gone so I can fly down there. Oh. Scott, you were gonna you were gonna fucking own that neocon trash, dude. And in the world, the world needs that. Whatever I need to do to help promote it, put money into it, whatever I gotta do, Scott. This is well, this is a this is a prize fight, dude. You're gonna own that motherfucker. I'm gonna be doing Vaseline Snow Angels when this happens. <laughs> Tell us about it, Scott. He, he's like I, the second worst one. <laughs> yeah, I better do good. I mean, I know once Gene announced that it was back on, this was supposed to happen last May, but it got all canceled for the germ. And then once Gene announced that it was back on, everybody on Twitter was like, listen, you better kill this guy or don't come home. Dude. So the pressure's <laughs> on. I better not do a bad job. But honestly, I'm right about everything, so it shouldn't really yeah. be that difficult. Co-founder of PNAC. 
I was hyping yeah. you, Scott, on Twitter. I'm like, if I was Will Crystal, I'd be fucking scared if I had to face down Scott Horton. You know, I don't think he's worried about it, man. I, I think he's a very well, he's a reptile. Nothing else, a very confident guy. Yeah, he's he's, <laughs> just, he's a reptile. You know? you know, he doesn't give a fuck about human life. But I'll just call you anti-Semitic blood libel. You- yeah, or or <laughs> even if not, he'll just say, "Well, we fundamentally disagree about the overall <sighs> beneficence of this sort killing of children outreach and uh, just you know whitewash it all." Where's this going down, Scott? New York City? Uh, yeah, it's in New York on October the 4th. And it's all at uh, SohoForum.com, I think is the address there. Just search up Gene uh, Epstein and the and the Soho Forum. It'll come right. right up there. Yeah. You know how plebes and normies hype like boxing matches and wrestling and MMA, dude? I want to yeah. fucking hype the shit out of this thing, dude. I want right. I want people to Don't know this is good. crystal in it, though, because... So many people talk shit directly to him. Oh, Scott Horton's going to fuck you up and all fuck, this stuff. Fuck him. I will then, talk shit to him, Horton. He's a mass yeah, murdering yeah, psychopath. We don't want him to back out. Look, we don't want him to say, obviously, okay. I'm going into a place nah, where I'd be a I'm going to talk shit like Mike Tyson. Scott Horton's going to show up. He's going to fucking tear your head off. He's going to fucking eat your children. He's going to tell you some things about the neocon agenda. You better be afraid, Chris. Scott Horton's coming, motherfucker. <laughs> no, I, you know what? Honestly, when they announced it the first time, which is, uh, guy, I guess, like in the fall of 2019, people were saying really, really hard stuff that I was really surprised that he didn't back out then. So, here you go, Ryan. What do you think? Next up, Ryan Dawson versus Ben Shapiro. I, oh, that's yeah, based. I love it. I wish <laughs> you I know, could participate on the Twitter stuff. Me and he wouldn't do it. Shapiro, well, Shapiro only only debates retarded eighth graders. So yeah, well, he you know, debates people who think they're eighty-two genders with blue hair, and if you don't fit those yeah. qualifiers, then he, you're not debate. He talked to adults twice, Andrew Neal and Carlson, and they, he got owned both times. He's a, he's a trained lawyer arguing with fifteen-year-olds, you know, about right. identity politics, and I'm like, okay. Let's smash some low-hanging fruit. I'm glad to do that. But the, the thing about Shapiro that's funny is like you're arguing against identitarians and you're an identitarian. Like you're Israel right or wrong just because you're Jewish. That's his whole world. It's like right. I know you're not dumb enough to think that bulldozing down someone's house or shooting kids in the balls is okay. Right. The only way that you can accept that is like tribalism. There is no way like anyone smart enough to tie their shoes can think that that's a morally okay thing to do. So that's why I go back to this thing. It's a psychological problem. It's not an intellectual problem. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes they also happen to be stupid. Hey, Reed. Something deep. Hey, Reed, try to turn your, uh, see if you can move 90 degrees or something because the wind is in your micro bed right now. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'll just see if you can stick around uh, that table or you're it's at it. Dust, it's dust in the wind right now. They probably, it's, dust, it's dust in the wind. That probably better? out there with oh. a fan. I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Scott. Either way, I think I think you're going to absolutely own him, and the dude has no legs to stand on, and uh, that's that's going to be it's going to be pretty epic. It's going to be epic. Yeah. Well, I um, I wrote a thing like a year and a half ago <laughs> when when all this started. That was going to be my opening statement. I had this whole plan. In fact. Uh, you know, I hope I'm not giving away too much, Bill, if you're watching, but I, you know, I originally was going to have a lot of fun blaming Bill Crystal for Trump, his nemesis, and explaining <laughs> why Trump was the natural reaction to everything that he had done and everyone listening to his advice. Um, but then, so now that Trump is gone, 
there's a little bit of fun taken out of that argument, but I just need to find a little bit better way to approach it again. But you, you guys got to admit, when Trump was in that debate, that primary debate in South Carolina versus Jeb, and he said the World Trade Center came down during your brother's reign, that's not safe. That you cheered a little bit, right? I, I oh, cheered. absolutely. Well, and of he, course, Jeb was so inept. All Jeb could do, and and by the way, was, so for people who don't remember, during the Bush years, they would say this all the time and always unchallenged, always unchallenged. He kept us safe. He kept us safe. That's not yes, safe. He not was safe. on the job for eight months before the attack, mm-hmm. and he didn't keep those people safe. Right. You know this. And, he and, had the um, DC sniper terrorist attack too. Yeah, but nobody. That's true. And, and, uh, but like, he we never haven't had any sense. Yes, you have. Nobody ever countered that argument. He kept us safe. He kept us safe. No matter what you say about him, maybe he shouldn't have done a rap, but still, he kept us safe. He kept us safe. And then Donald Trump just goes, Well, but what about September 11th? And then Jeb goes, Yeah, remember the rubble? And Donald Trump goes, Yeah, remember the rubble? <laughs> we need to keep us safe. He had the job for eight months. Oh, Have you ever heard of somebody who had a job for eight six months? Six trillion dollars over there. He's the like, he's job? like, we spent trillions of dollars. They said there were weapons. They lied. They knew there were no weapons, and they don't have it. You can call it however you want to call it. They don't have it. And when mm-hmm. when when Trump did that, I was I I was a big fan of that. But then he yeah. goes around, gets elected, and sells billions to the Saudis to genocide Yemen. So. Oh yeah, yeah, Scott. He did say good stuff God. about the Bush legacy. He got the right wing of America to break from the Bush legacy, and not necessarily the Republican Party, but certainly right wing voters of America. That oh, I don't have to believe in that shit anymore. Ron Paul said they didn't, but they didn't quite believe him. But when Donald Trump says you don't have to believe in it anymore, then I guess that's good enough. And by the way, when he said that, the the, the great impression he did there, that was the debate in South Carolina. Yeah, and the next Incredible. day. This is, you know, that's the third vote, to, the, the third state to vote in the system. Mm-hmm. And so all the other candidates were still in the race. So the next day, he got two thirds of the vote. Oh. And the other 17 candidates split the other one third of the vote. The and that was he mar- yeah, bringing out W. Bush to yep. run, not even he understanding mar- that this is the kiss of death, but thinking that the, the boys in South Carolina are going to rally around W. Bush still. The know. World Trade Center came down during your brother's reign. Not Dave. Yeah, so Scott, um, the thing with Trump is, uh, you know, he's like the most Zionist and the most pro-Saudi Arabia president we've ever had. (laughs) So like even though we got away from Bush, like the weapons of mass destruction thing, so many people don't realize the influence that Saudi Arabia and Israel have over our foreign policy and, you know, that nothing changes until that until that goes away. Bush senior is pretty pro-Saudi Arabia. And LBJ has been the most Zionist, but yeah. Austin, is is that true that Poppy Bush, Mr. Fucking CIA, was trying to cuck Israel in the 90s in his one term? No, I mean, he didn't want to, like, so-called finish the job in Iraq. And the the head of the DOD, which was Dick Cheney at the time, admitted as much to Bush. There's an interview in, I think, 94, where he's saying because it would have been a quagmire. And because it would have threatened the territorial integrity of Turkey, you would have seen Sunnis here and Kurds here. And he explained exactly what actually happened. So that's like, again, when they're saying it's incompetence, I'm like, yeah, but Cheney's on tape explaining that he knows exactly what will happen if they do this and still did it. So there, yeah. there are some people in there, the Cheney's, the Pearls and stuff that are evil. They're not dumb. They're evil, but they but you know, know what, better though, and right? they still did I mean, it. The thing is on that, though, is, 
you know, Wormser and Pearl wrote up the clean break two years after Cheney said that. And the argument was that, look, that makes a lot of sense, Mr. Cheney, but we talked with Ahmed Chalabi and we game this out. And what's going to happen is Jordan is going to dominate Iraq and it's going to work out great for us. Yeah. And so they'll say whatever they got to yeah. because it's in Israel's yeah. interest. And they don't care about the United States or Iraq. Yeah, but I think Cheney probably bought that. And of course, he had more important fish to fry. He had his own problems with, you know, running Halliburton into the ground. And he owed those guys a lot of money and had to put them on the dole doing something. And well, his wife was the president of the division at Lockheed Martin, too. That was another uh, plus. And then Kellogg, Brown, and Root. So they're profiteering. Yeah. But, you know, so I write about this in the book that uh, Cheney and his right-hand man, I forget the guy's name, but Cheney had this right-hand man who was the FOO of Halliburton and um, the chief operations officer. And they decided, or chief financial officer, I guess. I forgot which, fucking anyway. And they decided, the two of them, to buy Dresser Industries, which was this you know massive um, manufacturing firm. But they were right on the eve of being found liable for literally billions of dollars in asbestos cancer claims. And like, as soon as they bought the company, the verdict started rolling in and it was a huge albatross that Dick Cheney had brought on for the, you know, stockholders and chieftains of Halliburton. And those guys are gangsters, man. You know, they brought Dick mm -hmm. Cheney on not because he was a businessman, but because he was a politician. He had been a member of the House of Representatives and the Secretary of Defense. And the idea was this guy's political connections are going to make us a bunch of money. So then what does he do? He tries to participate in the free market and he hooks a giant billion dollar albatross around their neck. So he owed them big. And if all the Iraqis had to die to keep him <laughs> to protect his skin, he was going to kill them all. It was what was you know going on there as far as that goes. So, Scott, uh, this is Governor Jesse Ventura. People are wondering what you and Ryan's stake are in the recent summit between Putin, my boss at RT, and President Biden. What do you guys think? How did it go? Man, those are really good. Um, I like his Jesse the most. Like, yeah, no. Well, you know the thing is, you know, Putin, Putin showed up there and said the Crimea is not much bigger than the Baja where I live. I live in the Baja. It's mine. I own it. I'm taking it. Fuck you. Fuck the EU. Fuck the EU. It's mine. Thoughts, boys. <laughs> we well, got to crank call some people, dude. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, well, you know, I think Biden climbed down on a few things. He climbed down, I guess, before they even got there. He backed off on the sanctions against the Germans on the Nord Stream project. And... Um, you know, he he had blinked on sending destroyers into the Black Sea. Then he went ahead and sent some again. Um, but he, you know, famously, I think the most important part of what happened was, I guess, right in the lead up to the summit was when the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, tweeted that the Americans assured me that we're on the path to NATO membership. And then that earned him a rebuke from the secretary of state, Blinken, and President Biden both said that's not true. And that, you know, the reason why is because there's so many things that Ukraine would have to do to qualify and they're not qualified. And they're kicking that can way down the road there. And they know that that's absolutely non-negotiable for the Russians there. So and they um, what they 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 saved, I guess, before the deal, they saved New Start, but they went ahead and, and both of them are throwing the Open Skies Treaty out now. 
and they're making no effort to save the INF treaty. Um, if there, I guess the most positive development out of the whole thing probably is that the media did not attack Biden as a traitor for climbing down on any of this stuff. And they're treating him like a reasonable statesman for coming to right. terms with this leader. So I'm for that overall take is the most important thing is that the narrative is through no fault of Trump's own, the narrative of his treason with Russia just absolutely, you know, handcuffed his Russia policy in Dude. such a horrible way. And frankly, the fact that Biden is a one term lame duck and he knows it means that he can do what he wants for good or for ill. And I am worried that he has such an interest in Ukraine and always a bad one. But at least uh, that means that he knows the first thing about it, which is more than you could say for a lot of these people who would get us into a war over it. And so, and, and, oh, one more thing I guess I'll say is that, um, Ray McGovern, the former CIA analyst who I interview all the time, he was the former chief of the Soviet division. And he really makes a lot of the fact that this guy, William Burns is now the head of the CIA. And I don't know a lot about Burns. I really should read up on him. In fact, when I first heard that, I was like, what Nicholas Burns? Oh no, that's a different guy. That's George Bush's man in Iraq. Um, this is William Burns and he's the guy in the WikiLeaks. Uh, thanks to Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange, who's rotten in solitary confinement to death right now in, in Great Britain um, for leaking this. But um, it's uh, when he was an ambassador in the Foreign Service doing something or another, he went and met with Sergei Lavrov and Lavrov read in the Riot Act on Ukraine and NATO. And the title of the State Department cable is Nyet means Nyet. And essentially to boil it down, I met with Sergei Lavrov today and he said, hey, all this talk about bringing Ukraine into NATO, you're not doing that. Read me loud and clear. Thanks very much for your time, pal. And then Sullivan, uh, I mean, pardon me, Burns wrote that home to the bosses and, you know, frank, very frankly. And, um, and I guess Ray knows other things about the guy in his career that gives him reason to believe that this is a guy who understands the situation well enough that he's not going to just go along with whatever Victoria Newland wants to do over there for ideological reasons. That's Robert Kagan's wife. Kagan's wife. Course. Yeah. Yep. And, and in, in large measure responsible for the coup in Ukraine in 2014 that started the war in the East and the loss of Crimea and all that. So, um, you and know, Robert it's a heck Perry. of a note to have to root for the Democrats, but they are, I mean, Mike Pompeo is worse than, Anthony Blinken in almost every way. And that's not to say much about Anthony Blinken, but at least we're joking about this the other day on the show. At least he's a wimp and he knows it, right? Where Pompeo is this big tough guy who's got to act like a tough guy all the time. And you know, the Why? wimp actually can backfire because a lot of times the wimps act <clears throat> have to act real tough. But I, Blinken doesn't seem to act tough. Blinken seems to back down all the time. And I like that about him. <laughs> <clears throat> the less government does, the better. Usually. Yeah, right, I mean, good for him for being afraid. He should be afraid. What the hell do they think they're doing? Messing Ryan, around. Imagine if the Russians try to overthrow the government in Ottawa and, and use a bunch of Nazis to do it and then declare war against the people in British Columbia for refusing to go along with it. We'd go to nuclear war with Russia over that. America, Jimmy Carter would, you know, Ralph Nader would launch a war against russia if they tried that shit in canada and we think we can do that in ukraine why how in the world could anyone in dc think that that's tolerable at all and if you listen to them it's all a bunch of incoherent bullshit it's all a bunch of 
lofty principles that they don't have to define, especially glittering generalities, right, about, you know, global security and the international order and all these things. They don't have any specific accusations against Russia. The Russians aren't the Russians are not going to invade the Baltics. They're not going to invade Ukraine. They only took Crimea because America was trying to take it from them. They were leasing it. They respected it as the property of the Ukrainians. They had a contract. And when the Americans tried to do a coup and kick them out the hard way, they reacted and seized the thing. And they didn't even kill anyone doing it. It was just a coup de main. They just kind of went outside and seized the Crimean Peninsula, which was traditionally a Russian territory since the 1780s anyway. And so, um, you know, if, I don't think that in a conversation with anyone on the principles committee or even the deputies committee in the Trump government that you could even have a reasonable discussion about any of this stuff. Whereas I like to imagine as bad as Victoria Newland is and some of these other people that there must be times where Biden and Blinken and Sullivan can kind of whisper to each other and talk about true things and base their policies, at least on reality, even if they're doing the wrong thing, that at least they're not just believing so much of their own bullshit that they're going to get us killed. Although then again, I don't know, man, they keep doing these giant NATO exercises and, and flexing all these muscles and flying bombers near Russian territory where they shouldn't be doing. So, you know, I really don't know, man. I look, I, I was talking about this with Doug Bondo and he goes, look, nobody well, in Biden wants and, uh, war with Russia. Sorry. You know, they, they know they can't have a war with Russia, but so that then raises the question, what the fuck are they doing then? You know, we had Biden and Obama that tried to encourage Georgia and South Ossetia to break from Russia like Putin wasn't going to do anything about that. And Saakashvili and them just go up north and they continue their own rhetoric. Well, and then, No, that was Bush. That was still Bush in 08. The Bush, yeah, the South Ossetia is Bush and then Biden and Obama come in. They, I think he was lame duck at that point though, wasn't he? Or no? Whatever. Uh, uh, well, it was in August of 08. And then... Of course, they all framed it as though the Russians had started the war. In fact, there was a really funny bit. I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, that, um, you know, McCain, especially I in the debates. In Russia, too, at the time. So I'm sorry. Funny. It was in August because the, the Olympics were also in Russia, right? Same yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, in 08? I don't know. In 14, yeah. There, there's Sochi Olympics in 14. I don't know about in 08. But, um, I do know that McCain was pushing this thing, Russian aggression, Russian aggression, really hard. And then there was a moment in one of the debates where Tom Brokaw is hosting it, and uh, it's Obama and McCain. And McCain is saying, Russian aggression, Russia started the war, Russia invaded Georgia. And then he and Brokaw and Obama all exchange eye contact with each other, communicating that. Remember earlier when we had this discussion about how we were all going to agree on the lie? that Russia started the war here and Obama, just like we talked about, you're not going to challenge him on the fact, are you? And then it's Obama's turn and he goes, yes, Russian aggression in Georgia really is a big concern. But it was just so transparent. You could see the way they were kind of silently body languaging each other, referring yeah, I back often to get Bush and Obama confused. I can't tell I'm the sorry, difference Rod, between them. How, I, I often get Bush and Obama confused. Because it just sort of bleeds together. I know. <laughs> like, well, I, I do confuse their names a lot, too. Because They blamed Litvinenko yeah. on Russia. Remember that? Oh, let's poison someone in polonium. Do yeah. not shoot them. Not a thousand other ways you can get rid of somebody. Let's lose a, a radioactive poison. And the scripple thing was just as stupid. 
but it doesn't matter. Like if Rachel Maddow is going to be up there saying Russia, 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 and that's what they're going to go with. Yep. Hey, speaking so, Scott, of which, do you do you think we're uh, pulling hey, out of that? This guy, yeah. this guy predicted the conflict in Ukraine. He yeah, said, so wait, he was like, yeah, hold next that year thought. it's going to be there. Yeah, hold that thought, uh, Reed, for a second, because you know, as long as you're bringing up Litvinenko there, Ryan, why don't you tell people who you're pointing at there in the corner? Oh, so this is for the young this is the man, Justin Romando, from Antiwar.com, chief editor, and I think you edited for him, right? Oh shit! What's the date? It's two days away, I think. Yeah, two well, days on, away. On so, day yeah, end. he died two years ago. Yeah, just, he passed away two years, two years ago, years. and I, I desperately would have loved to see what Justin would have written about. COVID-19 and the election and oh yeah uh, and Jeffrey Epstein too I think he probably would have gotten into that yeah all of this stuff um you know yeah and especially older Justin by which I mean younger Justin uh Bush years and early Obama years Justin was you know really at his peak there and uh and man he was good he's probably the only guy really I think that you would agree with on the Litvinenko story and what really happened to that guy and how they framed it up to make it look like the KGB had killed him and all of that, right? Well, the media did that. I mean, I kept digging on that real deep uh, into this giant, <laughs> the the debt that he had from this real estate scam in Spain with the mob and all. The, it was like really fascinating stuff. And then I think Unz took it or whatever. And I couldn't figure out where else to put the article because no one cared about Litvinenko anymore. By the time I had dug all the stuff up, it was that story was gone. Nobody knows yeah. who he is, whatever. But it was Boris Barzovsky had done that like, oh, Russian conspiracy to trying to frame me lie before when he had murdered a journalist in Russia. And actually, there's a book that Justin recommended, um, The Godfather of the Kremlin, which covers that portion of it that was before the litvinenko affair and uh, that was by the russian translator of forbes who was shot and then they got stuck on an elevator and died in the hospital but uh he went after a lot of these oligarchs and like these are these are the russians that you need to worry about are these oligarchs and the history the whole history of the cold war and and yeltsin and gadar and all that is just like you said earlier, it's complicated. So, you know, wh who said the racist word? That's what they're waiting for, right? Like, who said the bad thing? Because that stuff with uh, the, the entire flip over from communism, they didn't use venture capitalists. It became an oligarchical system, and it's, you know, a, it's a mouthful to explain it all. But it, it was ridiculous for them to be blaming Putin for that, too. But that that was – it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter how stupid it is, like the laptop thing. Just say Russia and a good portion of people will buy it because they're so anti-Russia, anti-Putin. And it really started with the like pussy riot crap where like he's kicking people out for being lewd inside of a church. And I'm thinking, so, I mean, you can't, you can't go to a, a church and do that. And I'm an atheist, but you can't go into a church and, um, you know, grab your vagina and stuff like they were doing. And like, of course they got in trouble, but there's been this anti-Putin screed because he went after the oligarchs. A lot of the, our oligarchs are, you know, best friends with these people. And so the media has had a completely one-directional hate Russia, Russia gate, blame Russia for anything. And it works because no one's allowed to say otherwise. 
Right. And if you do, then you're just a Putin shill, which is too far the other direction, right? Like yep. that guy's done plenty of bad things. You don't have to make things up, you know, yep. but it's Read all the made up ones that they're worried about. You know, there's, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, Scott, uh, that this is how Reed and I know each other. We met on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, uh -huh. and this is what we ran into here in New Hampshire. You just, oh, you're anti-war. You don't like all this money being spent on killing people eight thousand miles away who you'll never meet or know anything about. You're a Russian asset. You're a Russian agent. You're favorable oh, yeah, to Russia. Oh yeah, that to Tulsi. Yeah. yeah, so you know what I say to all, fuck all them, fuck all those people. They're stupid. They're ignorant. They don't know anything they're talking about. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm glad it brought us together, Reed. You know, this is why we're here. Yeah. This is what we're doing. We're pushing back against the insanity. People in the the people in the comments are wondering if every time you go away, you're switching with Mike, and you're just not telling us because you know we can't tell you guys apart. But right. <laughs> only right now for the next 15 minutes, go to infowars.com. You can find the answers. 15% off right now on the Jackman hologram theory. Infowars.com. <laughs> Yeah, well, we got like 20 minutes left, but uh, 70, Scott, 76. I wanted your opinion. I've been, on I've been switching with my man. brother too. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted your opinion. In fact, on I've been Scott the whole time, and <laughs> my brother's name is Scott. <laughs> Ryan's not even here. <laughs> well, Ryan's Ryan's pro Palestine. Scott's pro Israel. That's how it no, works. No, no, he isn't. <laughs> I know. I know. So he Scott, doesn't I want... think anything about that. I say something, but I got what Biden's got, and I can't remember what the fuck it was anymore. <laughs> Infowars.com. ScottHorton.com, uh, folks. Scott, when do you think we'll be the day, though? I got to pray Justin again, man. Uh, say what? Afghanistan? Yeah, when do you think we'll actually be out of Afghanistan? Do you think September 11th still, or what's your thought? Man, I really don't know. I, You know, they say they're trying to slow down the withdrawal for now, and they're pushing the, the Pentagon, according to the New York Times, they're pushing hard for permission to start hitting the Taliban when they take out Afghan government targets, which if they do that, then that means the withdrawal deal will be in real jeopardy where they've held their fire from our guys. We haven't had a combat death there in over a year now. And now is that um, incompetence or they just want to stay. Well, yes. I mean, the Pentagon wants to stay, but the reality is, I mean, the real incompetence is in Biden kicking the can down the road. They had a deal to get out on May 1st, signed by the Trump government. And this is just like what happened in Vietnam. But well, Putin's look, paying, Iraq uh, War II. In Iraq War II, they, they won the war for guys that hated them and kicked their asses out, but for guys who could hold the territory, right? They, they won the war for the supermajority and their political leaders. So there was a lull in the violence at the time they were kicking us out. And the regime that Bush put in power there is still in power in Baghdad there. Because, you know, they were essentially a repressed super, super majority at the time who he helped them take it. But now in Afghanistan, it's much more like Vietnam, where we propped up a group of people in government who just have nothing like popular support to keep them in power there. And so in Vietnam, they called it the decent interval. Hey, North Vietnamese, don't just come marching right down into the South as soon as we withdraw, because that'll be embarrassing for us and we won't want to withdraw. So give us a decent interval so that the American people can change their mind to muscle cars or whatever other different thing. And, um, you know, listening to foreigner or whatever it is. And so and, and take their mind off of uh, what's happening in Vietnam. Well, so they had their chance for their decent interval. And that was between the inauguration of Joe Biden at the end of January and the beginning of May, like in the deal. And 
once they broke that deal and said, we're staying till September, the Taliban said, well, it's fighting season now. The snow's melting and the ammunition is, you know, bored sitting there. We want to use it. <laughs> and so they go back to war and they've been, you know, steadily kicking the Afghan National Army's ass for years now. And it's it's the start of the fighting season. All they did, they kicked the can down the road for four months. Um, but what has that really bought them? I mean, is that bought again, like right now, they don't have permission to strike the Taliban at all. In fact, according to the New York Times, the Washington Post, as of half a year ago, the uh, Joint Special Operations Command, I'm almost certain is Delta. I forget if it's Delta or SEALs, but they're flying drones for the Taliban against their rivals in the ISIS group there, which is really just local Pakistanis mostly. But anyway, um, from the other side of the line. But America's been allied with the Taliban fighting against their common enemies in ISIS. And essentially the policy, if the policies withdraw the military, then that means they're giving up on the government in Kabul. They have made, Biden has agreed with Trump's strategic decision that we're not going to stay to prop up this regime anymore. But then the problem is if you check in the media, you see that the narrative is, yeah, but no fair, we lost. And it's going to look really bad. And so we can't have that. There's a long piece in Politico today, which is all full of quotes of Democrats attacking Biden from the right and saying this is going to look terrible. And not only that, the, the Republicans are going to exploit it and say that we lost Afghanistan as though they don't have the rejoinder that Trump wanted us out, too. And that was one of the reasons people supported Trump was because he wanted out of Afghanistan, you know, and and by the way, the, a deal is a deal. And we lost the war anyway. There's no stopping the Taliban now unless you want to do a whole other surge back up to 70,000 troops and and full scale air war and and, you know, go back to the year 2010 or 11 here. But nobody supports that. Not even in D.C. Are they willing to do that? And so, yeah. I mean, really, they they closed down the Kandahar Air Base. They're out of Hellman. As far as I understand, they're out of Hellman. And they have begun destroying everything and pulling everything else out of the Bagram Air Base in preparation to try to hand it over to the Afghan army there. And they're just at this point, they have a small contingent of essentially protection of diplomatic forces and spies in Kabul. And, you know, I don't know whatever drone bases that they have scattered out here and there. But I, my understanding is all that is closing down. And then so when they say... And don't get me wrong, I don't mean to sound like, you know, gullible here or whatever, but I mean, the that's just the reality of what's, they've been packing up C-130s with, and, you know, and transport planes full of men and, and getting things out of there, equipment and, and soldiers out of there. But they are saying, they've said in the New York Times blatantly all along, because they're being attacked for daring to do this, right? So they're defending themselves by saying, well, listen, we might be forsaking the Kabul government but we're still going to keep a counterterrorism force there. And we want to have a base in Kazakhstan or a base in Pakistan, or at least we'll fly air missions from ships in the Arabian Sea or the, uh, pardon me, the Indian Ocean there off the coast of Pakistan. And uh, we'll be able to do counterterrorism strikes against any anti-American forces there. And then look, you know, the, the, core of the Taliban is the Pashtun society. And there are non-Pashtuns who are part of it. But there are a lot of Tajiks and Uzbeks and Hazaras who have a lot of motive to resist Taliban power. And even if the Afghan army dissolves, they can still devolve back down to their local militias 
and they can fight as allies. And we could have a very bloody civil war ongoing between the remnants of the Kabul government and the rising Taliban regime. And it could be extremely ugly. I mean, right now you have the CIA's old favorite son, Gubaldin Hekmatyar, is he came in from the cold and made a peace deal. And he's very old now. Um, but he came in and made a peace deal in 2016 and lives in Kabul with all of his men, the Hizbi Islami group. They could go right back to war with snap of his fingers uh, right now. And he was known as the butcher of Kabul. The CIA supported him even after the Soviets left while he was just shelling Kabul because he couldn't sack it. He couldn't take it. So he just killed something like 50,000 people launching artillery shells at it all through the early 1990s. And um so Scott, uh, in other words, Kiriak. it's a fucking it's a rat hole, man. And there are so many <laughs> horrible sons of bitches with some power who are willing to fight like hell over power that I I agree with the Warhawks that there's nothing but disaster coming. I mean, I guess it's possible. I don't know. I'll say one more thing. Sorry. The fucking the Taliban have been winning a lot of battles. But they've also just been walking right into a bunch of military bases and saying, hand over your guns, boys. And then they let them go. They're, they're like, you know, execute the commander and let everybody else go. And this has been happening. You read about it in all the major papers. It's been happening for the last week, especially. They've just been walking into district after district after district, including right on the outskirts of Kabul. And so, honestly, I don't want to overestimate the power of the Afghan government, such as it is at all. It could be that the Taliban don't even need to invade Kabul with, you know, a convoy of pickup trucks in the ISIS fashion. They might just be able to walk right in, you know, and just take the whole place over. And, you know, like the Russians in Crimea, coup de main. Just look, you guys are out. We're here and there's nothing you can do about it. So just forget it. Right. Like when Lando's men surround the stormtroopers and they're like, oh, all right, you got us. It's incredible. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm um, I think that could happen. Probably said to me, Scott, John Kiriakou told me, I had him on my show a couple months ago. He said, if Bagram, if we, if Bagram gets closed down, that's, that's a sure sign that we're getting the fuck out of there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's not over yet. And believe me, they could change all this, you know, right now, as I mentioned that political story today, all the political pressure, John McCain's dead and gone, but the political pressure remains. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me, Oh, I guess the Eric tumor went on a suicide mission, right, Ryan? See, I think the tumor should get a Nobel Peace Prize for taking oh, out a so warmonger based. lunatic on a brave suicide mission. Oh, that's so they had a Russian a excuse. <laughs> so they had a Russia excuse about Afghanistan too. They said right. Putin was paying for you know money for the, the heads of Americans, as if I don't know invading them isn't a reason to shoot at us anyway. But uh, but that was the thing uh, because they realized like we've we made this connection of. Putin and Trump from the very beginning. So he's got to overcompensate to prove otherwise. They did not want them working together, especially on Syria. That was the real thing. Everything else is transcendental to that because they did not want him working with Russia and Syria. And he did do a couple crew strike you know, shots at Syria, what have you. But Assad was able to take the whole southwestern part of the country back minus Idlib in the north and then right. Rojava's annex, but not really like they have the oil and they just sell it to the Syrians anyway. Uh, he cleaned up Deir Azor and Hama and all that. So, you know, with us out of the way, uh, Al-Qaeda fell apart. And that did happen after the June meeting with Putin and Trump. He said he cut off CIA funding and they quickly withered away. Now, Israel continues to do airstrikes against Damascus. Uh, they did like four in a row right before Gaza. 
they actually attacked Latakia first time. And one of the anti-air uh, defense missiles landed in the I have desert above Demona. I mean, that's this stuff could escalate so fast, and it is really stupid. Like, what are we doing supporting Al Qaeda and Israel's interest in Syria? It's that clear, but they can wash that all away by saying, "Yeah, but Russia's on the other side, and Russia's the bad guys." Russia, 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 and Afghanistan. When Trump finally almost did something good. Uh, talking about getting out of Afghanistan, he doesn't want to look weak or whatever. And this is another one of these pussies that has to act tough by, you know, oh, well, I don't want to be someone to call me a wimp, so I'm going to be a wimp and kowtow to their demands. Right. Yep. And so he he knows that that isn't true about Russia, probably. But he's like, ah, media is going to say that. And Trump is such a narcissist. You know, that's his image or whatever. So he doesn't want people to say bad things about him. Oh, I wanted Eric to do his Trump impression. I guess he's gone already with that real well. But that is, I'm so sick of the Russia stuff. And it is also this guilt by association crap that everybody seems to think is okay. Like you just cannot have a nuanced position about anything anymore, or you'll be placed in this camp or that. And uh in the way social media is constructed, like I'm not even allowed on Twitter at all, but you can't explain complicated things and just sentences or whatever uh but you can shit post easily and so it's getting further and further that direction that i just think we're headed toward a technocratic dystopian nightmare i just don't see it getting better i don't think we're getting out of afghanistan i think they're talking about it and there will be some bullshit and we'll end up staying because the opium makes too much money yeah but the thing is the taliban will kick america's ass unless they put in fifty thousand troops they want a full-scale war with a few thousand left and they've had a ceasefire this whole time for the last year and a half. If that's canceled, then it could be really ugly. I don't think they really have a choice but to pull at least the troops out. I mean, they say they want to leave the CIA and all of that behind safe lines. But um, I don't know how they could try to hold on to Bagram without having to then put more troops back in, which they could do. I mean, I'm not I'm not fully discounting that. But I mean, we're it's assuming sounds, we're dealing with rational people and we're not. <laughs> well, look, I mean, all of the arguments, and I think this is the consensus in DC. Like the last 10 years of being Afghanistan have been stupid but, as hell. Like, but you can read it at Foreign Affairs and you can read it in Foreign Policy and you can read it in the Washington Post, even that, you know what, we should get out of Afghanistan. We need mm -hmm. to pivot out of the Middle East to China. And the, you can read a uh, lot of really great articles about Afghanistan that China. then have China as the end. And so when, when are we going to get out of Germany and Japan? No, yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, that was what they said about Biden and Biden. There was a great article actually by uh, Michael Hirsch in foreign policy about uh, Biden, Blinken and Sullivan had their meeting and they came to the decision. They want to call victory in the war on terrorism. They want to uh, denigrate ISIS as nothing but a regional threat that can be dealt with by our friends and allies over there. And that Al-Qaeda, core Al-Qaeda, is defeated. And fuck Al-Shabaab. Nobody ever heard of them anyway. We could just ignore that problem away uh, since it never really was a problem of ours in, in the ever get our place. girls back from Boko Haram? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, let me tell you, uh, Michelle Obama was not one of those girls. Big Mike, Michelle Obama was not one of those girls, okay? We have the evidence. I've looked at it. <laughs> I got a text, guys. Everyone, I want to go around. We always say, though. 
They always say though, so that we can be worse on China. That's why I'm saying it's credible to me that they Jane, that okay. I think they mean this. It's because it's not out of the goodness of their People, heart. Uh, it's because they want to be worse on something we more. Move important. on to the next the next boogeyman is actually. Well, yeah, I got a text. I want to go around. Everyone wants to know who your favorite U.S. president is and why. And mine is JFK. I got him right there behind me from the cover of JFK and the Unspeakable. Um, he thwarted nuclear war in my view, and he was he was amazing. He was a cut above. So many reasons I could go on, but JFK is my favorite president. Reed, who's your favorite president? Uh, probably Calvin Coolidge, and my favorite Democrat would be uh, Garfield, I think, because, uh, you know, <laughs> he just didn't want to be president, didn't want to do anything, and then Calvin Coolidge. I mean, they all suck, so I don't really have a favorite, but <laughs> I, I'd have to go with one of those two. <laughs> Scott. Oh, this is too obvious. William Henry Harrison. Harrison's my favorite yeah. Beatle. He's a he's a model for all what how I think all presidents should behave. Well, I'd say my favorite president was the one in between JFK and LBJ, whoever that was. You know, just that was brain matter. It was brain yeah. matter. Okay. Did you Dawson? see my do you see my uh, video on RFK assassination the other day, Eric? I did. By the way, you can't say uh, Jefferson Davis, Ryan. You got to choose. Ah, I wouldn't say that anyway. <laughs> he was not very good. <laughs> uh, I like Coolidge, maybe Madison or Washington. I, I think as president, Jefferson did well. As you like JFK a little, right? I like, I mean, for, I don't For like a message. I, I was born yeah, in Massachusetts. For, I don't, I think he gets overly romanticized because he was shot. He had, he did was he and McNamara were not going to get out of Vietnam like everybody thinks and you know did he thwart nuclear six. war Ryan? Yeah, but we he's one our own policies got us into that mess in the first place, right? It's like okay, we'll we'll move our weapons out of Turkey if they get out of Cuba. Why do we have weapons in Turkey? You know what I mean? So yeah, but you know he was definitely he, he was he was very hard on Israel. We haven't had that ever. Right. He wanted to expect them for nuclear weapons. His brother supported right of return for Palestinians. So the Kennedys are very good on something that everyone else is terrible on. Yeah. Uh, so I get but but Coolidge was more like our best free market president since, you know, the beginning, at least. And then Jefferson. Wait, wait, that reminded me. That reminded yeah. me of earlier when you asked about H.W. Bush, him and Baker did withhold money from that's, Israel. As long that's what as I was talking about, Scott. Was, and yeah, settlements. Yeah, and you yeah. can listen. You can read. You can read at amandaweiss.net. He has the quotes where Bush Senior blamed the Israel lobby for his loss against Clinton. Clinton. Which yeah. I don't think he says that they were behind Perot or anything like that, but just that they had the media just go full tilt for Clinton and against him, and that that was why was. Uh, and it was there was a a quote where, and I don't know how in jest this was meant or the exact context of it. But in print, it looked really bad, which was James Baker saying, F the Jews. They don't vote for us anyway. And so then they were like, yeah, but you know what? We donate and and or we withhold funds. So how do you like that? <laughs> and so like them you apples. Know, it really they seemed to matter a lot. And Mondo Weiss has written this up pretty well. So the early presidents were good for America, but it's hard for me because all of them we're murdering Indians, right? So that's hard for me to swallow. Yeah, Mr. Jackson was great on economics, kind of bad on the Indians. Yeah, he Jackson and Jefferson the challenged banks, the bank. He and the Indians. 
Well, and yeah, Jefferson's I, well, trade war with England was horrible and led to the second war with Britain. Yeah. But he get, they did give us the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the Louisiana Purchase. And, like, it's a, you know, whatever. Like, it's hard for me. You asked me, it's like, uh, you know, what's the best tasting dog food? You know, you're asking me about know. government. I know. <laughs> well, who, who's the most base president? Or no, let me let me. Who's the most based foreign leader or leader in any time of a country or republic, a dictatorship or anything? Who's the most based? Well, what it what it based like meaning just said what he thought and regardless of what everyone else thought. So we're not talking like good or bad, just based. No, oh, just just yeah, just super based. Trafficant. <laughs> the congressman. <laughs> that count. I don't Ron know. Paul. I was going to about to Ron, say yeah, Scott. Ron, Ron, Ron Paul, politician. Ron for Paul sure. does it for me, man. I've never heard someone or, uh, breathe more fire and more truth. Russell Means. Yeah. He lost to Ron Paul by one vote in 88, and he was based as hell. He never got the recognized the way Paul did, but they were pretty much on you know on par. Yeah, he, he was a good dude. I interviewed him one time. I know. I asked you to interview him. And then you did? And, yeah, and then you did. <laughs> good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a cool guy. He's all you'll never see if you want to see because John McCain used to be the head of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Oh man, dealt with him for a long time. But wow, um, if you see Russell Means talking to Congress about Indian sovereignty and like all the things they need to do to fix it, everything he said is exactly what needs to be done. And they're just like, uh huh, uh-huh. and guess who's listening to him? Joe Biden, and they just ignored him, you know. Yeah, but everything well, he said about just, the BIA uh, is how you need to do it. We just hit two hours and my uh, computer's going to die here soon, so we'll wrap it up. But uh, this was awesome. Um, it, it fluctuates how much I talk for each of these. You know, it kind of varies, but this was great. It, the conversation was great and really appreciate you all you guys. To read? Uh, you well, I, man, there's like 50 of them. <laughs> oh, well. Um, the I can't. Is, this, it's you knew I was going to say a lot of things. Yeah, I, I brought, epic, I showed them on the screen. I can't even access all of them because I have so many. So epic. I so purposely epic. toned my uh, Mike hogging down because I'm on all the horsemen, so I don't have to. I, I could have went ham on 911, well, but I was like, look, oh, I, shut up. I didn't talk about. I didn't want to. I didn't want to <laughs> fanboy too much, Scott. Man, it was. It's an honor, dude, to have have been on this with you, man. And and you, your knowledge is. It's it's it's. I don't know if it's you're unrivaled, dude, in your knowledge of of the interviews you've done, the people you've talked to. Um. So th- this for me just telling you that this was awesome i really appreciate you coming on man and thanks man Good we gotta get you. it out to the we gotta get it out to the people and and you know i do comedy i do shows and stand up and impressions and all that so i think mixing it all together and it's all about liberty it's all about speaking your mind and just it's you know not worrying what other people say about you or think about you so i i i have watched a lot of what you've done and i appreciate what you've done and this is this has truly been epic Ah, cool. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate that. I think when Ramondo passed away, myself and a lot of other people, one of the first things we thought is, well, we still got Scott. Yeah, because that's- there's no, there was nobody, no offense, nobody on his level. You oh, know, yeah. He no, got and- he got a little cranky or whatever, but like that, he just would come up with stuff and then he'd be right. And like, he'd already on the next thing. And he's yeah. like a year ago, he said, da, 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 da. And I, I don't know. No question about that. I mean, he's in the Bush years, especially he was the most important writer in America. Just period. He would, he'd have a hero on the Hill sometimes, you know, whether it was like Fitzgerald, you know, he thought was going to go after APAC and all that. And then yeah. later it was like Hegel and stuff. But um, 
whatever, man. Hey, we're going to shout Cynthia McKinney. Cynthia McKinney is a based queen. Oh, you know, I'll great. tell you what, Rye, um, if I didn't have the show and the Institute and all these other things, and my only job was writing three articles a week for antiwar.com the way that Justin had it, I don't, mm. you know, try my very best. I don't think I could do what he did. I, I could see myself trying to do that, like really writing up-to-date articles on current events and trying to be the best columnist I could be on a real-time basis other... like that. But right now, I just can't do it. I'm spread so thin. The only times I write an article is if I'm so goddamn mad, I just cannot help but <laughs> knock out a thousand words. But anything short of that, I can't motivate myself really to write, you know? Um, it's harder when you have children, too. He didn't have any kids. So. It's a busy Eric. life over here, for sure. Let's uh, let's do the plugs and uh, just any final thoughts. But, Eric, why don't you give us a... We haven't heard much from Alex, but just uh, just uh, oh, no. hear from Alex what we think about uh, what really happened on 9-11 and then uh, give you a plug, I guess. Uh, first of all, folks, it was the Chi-Coms, right? The Chi-Coms were doing it. They were in concert with the uh, Saudi. I mean, the Saudis were kind of involved, but not really, okay, Infowars.com. But it was the Chi-Coms. It was totally a Chi-Com thing. Go to Infowars.com slash dickpills right now to get my pills. You're fighting the Luciferians and the Rockefellers and the CFR and, and all those people in the Bilderbergers. You need to Bilderberg. stay strong and hard. You go there. I'll give you the pills. I'll give you the knowledge. I'll give you the power. Infowars.com. <laughs> but uh yeah i just want to say you gotta get Hummagard in here i do i know commercials but uh no i want to say that this is epic man people people are craving craving people speaking their mind freedom of speech exchange of ideas th shit they're not going to hear anywhere else i mean I, I look at mainstream media now and it's i just can't even look at it it's a joke it's just a fucking joke it's one thing i loved about trump he shit on all of them he when, when he was in there, he said, Joe Scarborough, let's talk about the intern in Joe Scarborough's office. Let's talk about Mika Brzezinski's botched plastic surgery. She was bleeding everywhere, and she begged me to come to Mar-a-Lago. At least that was funny. That was fucking hilarious. I love what Trump he's entertaining did for sure. I mean, it's uh, we haven't. That's he's the most entertaining. He's maybe. entertaining, and he's 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 the king. He's the emir. But uh, Jackman Radio <laughs> on Twitter at Jackman Radio. Subscribe, everyone who's watching, subscribe to Jack and Radio on YouTube. Going to have all these guys on. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to fucking ride it till the wheels fall off. Um, I'm on Instagram every day. Senator Jackman's my personal account. Jackman Radio's the podcast account. And we're on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Apple. And I'm on Locals. Tulsi Gabbard is on Locals with... Um, Dave Rubin and some other people, they're trying to get that going. And I got to tell you, nothing's censored there. There's no ads. So if, if you like that kind of thing, go on to locals.com and check it out. But uh, it's been an honor riding with you guys tonight in the Four Horsemen. We're going to keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Ryan, uh, I know that I made your Twitter. It got banned. Uh, you made one. It's getting screwed up already. But we're uh, <laughs> yeah, in 20 in like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> But, so uh, all that stuff that Jackman just said, I'm banned on that whole list, <laughs> as well as all the you know, I'm not I can't I don't have Facebook or Instagram. I lost a 50 million view YouTube channel. Uh, I was ahead of everybody, and then that's the fifth time they did that to me. So <laughs> I have, I just basically have my own website, ancreport.com. I use something called PeerTube which is on an Indian reservation, so they can't uh, take it away from us. 
we've got server farms all over the place and a and c stands for anti-neocons there's an anti-neocon report there's a forum there because i used all i used to do is write articles and then i just started with videos at some point but um so that's where all my stuff is on my website and i i have things periodically and they always get taken away so i never feel confident in plugging them because i'm like well a week from now is probably not going to exist <laughs> yeah. so that's how that is but uh yeah you get yeah. flack when you're over the target i guess i think i have a dedicated cult that just follows me around and flags whatever <laughs> i do to try and get me removed <laughs> sort of thing. i barely like say it. anything i'm like all the everyone else in the same libertarian circle that i was in was saying the same kind of stuff just like worse than me and uh but i'm the one that gets hit yeah, well, you made yourself a good couple enemies out there somewhere, right? Yeah, Gabe Hoffman's one of them. But by the way, since Maria Farmer's listening, uh, Jackman Radio and myself did a really long in depth thing on Jeffrey Epstein. If, if you haven't heard it, check that yeah. one out. Well, just like on a uh, Jackman Radio, you're always welcome on here. I actually kind of enjoy the reaction I get from the cucks when I bring you on here, so it's kind of fun at this point. But they're so dumb. <laughs> I'm like, I'm alive. You can talk to me. Like if you have, if like, oh, what's your thing on the Holocaust or this or that? I'm like, just ask me, asshole, and I'll tell you. <laughs> it's not what yeah. everyone's saying that about was it. And, like, and I, I had to tell people, Ryan, that your grandfather served in World War II. My grandfather did. My grand uncle was killed in France by the Nazis. That doesn't matter, though, to people. But uh, my grandfather nor there. a Nazi spy. Kicked she him with a horse. An Austrian right, well, spy uh, was in North Carolina, and her and her mom captured him. And it's like my granddad gets home fighting in Okinawa and this and that and finds out his, his girlfriend is getting to meet the president because she caught a spy. <laughs> All right, Scott, what about you? Um, what's uh, what's going on other than the Billy Crystal interview and where can people keep up with you? Uh, well, I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute. That's libertarianinstitute.org and I'm editorial director of antiwar.com. And uh, you can find my show at scotthorton.org. I got 5,500-something interviews going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And I wrote those books, uh, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and uh, this way, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And over here is the great, oh, that way, this way, the great Ron Paul is the collection of transcripts. All of my interviews to Ron Paul. Um, but the, the light blue one there, enough already. That's the new one. That's my take on all the wars since Jimmy Carter, all the Middle East wars since Jimmy Carter. A guy on Amazon recently called it the Necronomicon of American foreign policy, which I liked. So, <laughs> Ash that's would be pretty proud. much everything that pisses me off in one book, if you want anybody wants to take a look at that. And I'm on Twitter at Scott Horton Show for now. I thought you were going to say Woodrow Wilson is your favorite president. <laughs> well, yeah, he's feeling my favorite one to talk about. <laughs> That's a whole other two-hour show. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot well, uh, I have a, a book, The Separation of Business and State. I was not banned on Amazon I yet. have on the pile over here, by the way. Knock on wood. Well, there's an audio book now, so if you like doing something else, you can just listen to it. That's a good idea. Yeah, just right, I'll, well, I'll, I'll gift it to you. Thanks, everyone, for coming on. This was great. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Uh, please subscribe, um, like the video, hit the bell so you get notifications when I put out a new video. I am now on Spotify. I'm on Anchor. So anywhere where you can find podcasts, look up the Naturalist Capitalist. Our next Four Horsemen is going to be with Clint from Liberty Lockdown on July 11th. So stay tuned for that. 
Uh, thank you very much.